Tom Cruise is turning Japanese, Rise of the Gyllenhaals, and our series is premiering Morty this week on 30 2010. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010. Back from the holidays with your uh, with the Laser Times Weekly Pop Culture Time Machine, telling you what happened 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Your weekly pop culture breakdown of milestones, anniversaries, and all the cool premieres or conclusions of some of our favorite stuff. TV, music, video games. We'll get into it in a second. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Santista. Who is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm hoping finally someone can explain this to me. You have a newborn baby, and someone walks in and is like, let me play a drum for the newborn baby? What? <laughs> no! No playing for the baby! I'm with you on that one, Diana. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and, you know, to be fair, you have to have an extremely high IQ to appreciate the cartoon we will talk about Jesus in Christ. the final segment. Nah. I'm not going to let the bastards ruin a nice thing. I'm just not. Not even the creator. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening. I've got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. We ask for five bucks. We'll give you hundreds of uh, free shows, including a recent season of Elm Street Nightmare focusing on Evil Dead, podcasts on vacation, Strange Brew, and the Video Game Apocalypse Boys. We do a lot of year-end video game stuff on there, and we got a, a breakdown with our buddy Chris Baker about the Spider-Man 2 game. Um, a Spider-Man for me and Baker, near and dear. I'm actually reading his current comics. Love Spider-Man. He's on my watch right now and my wallet. Uh, but it's patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks. Give us one or give us more. We do thank you guys very, very, very much. Um, thank you very much. People like Chris Parker keep the show going. Anyway, let's get on with the show as we always do. December 1st to the 7th. That is where we are starting. Uh, that is our week weekly window. So open up three little portals in 1993. 2003 and 2013 and we'll tell you what happened 30 20 10 years ago beginning with 30 years ago 1993 december 1st to the 7th a little bit of news to bring you into what's happening see not it's not all pop culture astronauts begin repair of the hubble telescope in space i mean this was pop culture because it was a joke for for many years they launched the hubble telescope in 1990 It, it was supposed to revolutionize everything and it did but you had to fix it first because one of the mirrors or lenses was off by one eleven thousandth of an inch. Wow. <laughs> well, we're talking about space. Space is big. So really big. when you reflect all of space, that tiny bit of difference makes a huge change in everything. And getting up to space is incredibly expensive. The prices dropped by about 90% recently. But at the time, you know, getting this sucker up was huge. So we really needed to repair it a as many times as it needed i think it's going to go out of business soon just because the cost of maintaining it probably mm. isn't worth it much going forward given there's, the drop in yeah there's probably you know it's probably about getting near the time to replace it but once they fixed it it now holds the record for seeing the farthest thing away we have ever seen 13.4 billion light Woo. years Woo. that's like most of texas that's like Texas and half of Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is so far that what we are seeing happened 13 billion years ago. It's pretty... Because it's going at the speed of light, and it took it that fucking long. It's pretty nuts, just because I, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong here, but like the Hubble in general is the man-made object in space that has been around for the majority of my life that I feel like... 
I've had some constant aware awareness of. I'm almost as old as the Hubble. Yeah, it it just cost three hundred million dollars a year in the current year to maintain that. Jesus. Wow. So and so one Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, one Marvel movie one Marvel a year movie. plus marketing. <laughs> you're you're killing it with your similes right now. <laughs> <laughs> but exciting. I don't know why I, the the Hubble, it's like just when I rem remember reading about space, I had a space placemat. Uh, Hubble dinged my, um, I, dinged my brain early on. I remember the photos being published in yeah. my newspaper because it was pre-internet and it was just jaw-dropping. I think I cut one out and took it into school because it was like, look at the universe. Look <laughs> at the universe. Yeah. yeah. What, can I see more of these? Is there a... <laughs> repository with some kind of TV screen I could look at no just the newspaper hopefully they publish one tomorrow and then also a thing I don't remember being aware of at the time Pablo Escobar dies but having seen Narcos I can vision it perfectly on the rooftops right now yeah there, there you go I mean he was in that prison that he built for himself mm -hmm. and the cops were like maybe we're gonna move you to an actual prison and he's like walking out the door doo, 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 doo. and so for like a year and a half or so he's just hiding out hanging out uh, in some, you know apartments with buddies whatever and then uh, the the Colombian officials get basically a bunch of tech from us Americans and finally nail down where he is and uh, try to go pick him up and he's like fuck that shit and there's a big shootout and he dies and there was never cocaine again and, and that solved all of our problems <laughs> we won we won the war everyone I want you to do your best guess how many police officers, not just randos, police officers, do you think Pablo Escobar is probably responsible for deaths of? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, the way that show phrases it, like you're either in his pocket or you're not, and your chances of death are exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the yeah. same. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll say three, three dozen. Our best estimate is 1,000 wow! police officers. Wow! I, I couldn't research this definitively outside of, you know, dictators. I think he's probably the person who has killed the most police officers in Ooh. all of human history. Ooh. I can't think who would top that. Yeah, not even wow. three three versions of Grand Theft Auto do I think I got close to that. It's just too risky. Holy crap. Uh, wow. Uh, all right. Uh, great job, Uncle Pablo. Uh, great job, Pablo. I, I kind of <laughs> want to go visit his hippos. I have to admit it. Uh, okay. And then as we move into the movies of 1993, I say with relatively low enthusiasm because it's post-Thanksgiving, these will pick up again. But there is one important one in here, in my opinion. Mrs. Doubtfire still number one at the box office. And as we mentioned, this will... Will this be the highest gross, the second highest grossing movie of this year or next year? This year. This year, in just a couple of weeks? It'll... Only Jurassic Park is going to beat this. Oh. The box office take, yeah. Amazing. But uh, going up against Mrs. Doubtfire, first up, uh, how can you lose with Kevin Sorbo? Apparently it can happen. Darlene Flugel and Scott Glenn in Slaughter of the Innocents. Not an Iron Maiden album. Not an Iron Maiden album. I believe it was made for HBO. Um it's kind of trying to be Silence of the Lambs by just bringing in a guy who was in Silence of the Lambs. And it's about, you know, tracking FBI guy tracking the serial killer who's like super gross and super extreme. And it's really gross. And, and then we also yeah. have uh, George Stephanopoulos, uh, Paul Begala and James Carville in the war room. This has got to be a document. Ah. Please tell me this is a documentary. And 
<laughs> Please, I don't want to see these guys act. James Carville's acted in some of my favorite stuff, and I hate it. James Carville is a ex-CIA agent no. who's on the run no. from the law, no. and Paul Begala pulls him in for one last mission. <laughs> Pablo Escobar. And George Stephanopoulos performs the job interview. And... No, no, no. Okay, so this is about the 1992 uh, U.S. presidential election seen solely through the eyes of Team Clinton. Um, and wow, do oh, I wish something sense. like this would be made again. I doubt mm -hmm. we're going to see something with this level of access because no. I guarantee you today people would be like, well, that's going to leak on the Internet in five minutes. Because yeah. uh, James Carville, as far as I can see, he's got to be like miked for 50 to 75 percent of the Clinton campaign. He's mm -hmm. just walking around wearing a mic. And this is an amazing documentary that has no narration. Do you know how hard that yeah. is for a documentary? It just tells the story by the clips. So there's got to be like thousands of hours. And what they pull is really solid gold. There is a great flow and there is a great interest. This was the first political documentary I ever saw. Well, yeah, I think um, this can this practice sort of continued, but I think it was everything we know about someone who becomes president in that period sort of comes from a documentary like this when someone embeds with them on the campaign trail and they can have one sliver of being a real person and not causing controversy with everything they say. So like you do get to know a person, the personality of a candidate so well during this period. Not in this doc though. Yeah. Uh, Clinton well, is not a about figure Clinton. of the shadows. He oh like really? Appears twice or three times. He is like yeah. this guy. He bounces in uh, once or twice and then he bounces out and we don't see him until victory wow. night. Wow. Yeah, it is. That's the, the thing I find fascinating about it. It is, it is just about the staffers of what it is like to be a top staffer on a presidential campaign, which seemed pretty quixotic at the beginning of 1992. He's the mm -hmm. governor of Arkansas. And nobody fucking knows who he is. And you start getting just accumulating all these team members and they start building momentum. And it's like, yeah, what it's if it's like Veep, if Julia Louis-Dreyfus wasn't never appeared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like just mm -hmm. the staff and just the work and the spin and all that. And d the, the highest compliment, does it have a documentary now episode inspired by it? Yes, it Hell does. Yeah. Which I highly wow. recommend. <laughs> I think it's a season opener of season two. And it is the same thing of just, yeah. How is the sausage made on a campaign? It's yeah. It, it, they wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. There's similar things. I'm thinking um, travels with George. There's mm -hmm. one that's actually by Nancy Pelosi's daughter about being on the campaign trail with George Bush, but that's, more about the day-to-day -day in the press pool as opposed to what are the staffers what getting a campaign up to, right? what a campaign is about and, and that's what i'm talking about the, the, i think what i know about george hw bush's george w bush as a person is from that documentary or documentaries like that because he mm -hmm. will not have another candid moment as president or even afterwards after that yeah so, uh, yeah, really but this good. is about Lord. the staffers, not mm -hmm. the president. And I love how it just shows you how unglamorous it is. Mm -hmm. It's like <laughs> this is the campaign to have this person become literally the most powerful person on the planet. And it's being run out of this dinky little place in a strip mall. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> like it looks like they had a uh, IHOP that closed and you just moved into it. OK, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just lots of like loading shit into people's cars and calling them, and they don't have cell phones yet, so there's a lot of, lot of working phones, and we'll tell him to call me back when he gets there. 
And they have like this goofy five minute debate on are the handmade signs going to look good? If they're not going to look good, should we get our printer to make them? Will the printer be able to make non-handmade signs? Do we want all the signs to be the same color? Is it good that we have the all the signs look the exact same on camera? Or do we want variety to show that this is grassroots? And it is just like, oh boy, this is something you have to debate. And I feel bad for you. Mm. And I want to <laughs> uh, say hard... Yeah. The, the war room, but yes, hard hard pivot to... Well, the only non-hard pivot about it is that uh, the yeah. Criterion Channel has you covered in both the case of this movie and our next movie. Oh. Yeah, thank yes, you, Criterion but, Channel. All right, and, but so the, the next movie, the film debut of El Nino que a nadie la gustaba, <laughs> Yamato Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro! Oh, he's the best. <laughs> he's the best. Uh, Claudio Brook, Ron Perlman, and Federico Lopez in... Not Del Toro's first movie, but I think far in his way, not maybe not his breakthrough movie, but the movie that captures the attention of the rest of the world. Oh, it's his first theatrical movie. Oh, it is. Okay, so I, I, I think he made one other one for TV. Maybe? I, I saw. I went through his whole catalog a long time ago, and I saw this in kind of a marathon. I think he'd written some other screenplays or something like that, or produced mm-hmm. some films. Uh, but this is the one that catches everybody's eye, and he will be working within the Hollywood system forever after in some way or another, after Kronos. Well, no, I mean, he comes and goes. He does, he does. I Which said, is the thing I like about him. He, yeah, he, he comes and goes. So, yeah, Guillermo del Toro's Kronos, as with every Guillermo del Toro movie, it's got Ron Perlman in it. Why? Because <laughs> he wrote to Ron Perlman and said, hi, I'm this guy. I work in Mexico. I really like your acting. And Ron Perlman was like, Gee, a fan letter. Thank you. Okay, I'll put me in your movie. What the fuck? Yeah. Ever the cool guy, Ron Perlman. He knows where you live, motherfuckers. And he's going to come be in your movie. It's like everything I'm in. I'm like, I mean, either they're super creepy weird guy or I got a lot of makeup on. And this guy actually appreciates me. Mm. Okay, yeah, I go to Mexico. Sure. God bless him. He's so adorable. The film itself, you can see definitely hints of the greatness to come. I wasn't in love with it, honestly. It was like, okay, watch this to see the beginning of his repertoire. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I I can't I can't recommend it. On it's that it's basis. it's hard. You're a completionist. It's hard to appreciate this because when he made this, there's not a lot not not a lot like it. Now Del Toro gets to do whatever he wants every three years, and there's a lot like Kronos out there. <laughs> And right. I'm saying it, if you're interested in him as a director, yeah. watch it. If you just want it as a film going experience, I'm not sure it's good enough. Yeah. Well, it, what if you like vampires and you, you want a different take on vampires? Because I give it credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, a lot of vampire movies have the vampires be an, an analogy for drug addiction. I feel like this is going for the analogy of being addicted to life, how some people will do anything spend their entire life savings to live a few more weeks you know ridiculous mm-hmm. ridiculous yep. i would take yeah. a tax and break just... to live 10 fewer years <laughs> <laughs> yeah just the idea that it's like it's it's not that you get turned into a vampire by getting bit by another vampire that it's this device that this guy invented and now people are after the the device itself mm. but yeah obviously getting to live forever Sounds pretty good, but no, there's bad parts as he becomes slowly more and more vampire-y and realizing, oh, yeah, I kind of need blood to live. Oh, gosh, that kind of gets in my way. Oh, 
It's but, always a catch. You got to read the fine print. Kronos, ladies and gentlemen, Kronos. I encourage Del Toro fans to check it out. Again, Criterion or Criterion Channel. It's one or the other. I don't know what they have streaming at any, any given time. Uh, I think there's only three vampire movies in the Criterion collection. Really? No. There's not many. Those uh, um, Fratu? Uh, Either it, version? I don't know. I just because so. that's uh, they have public domain movies in there, so yeah, they should have that represented somehow. Uh, what's what is? Did Kubrick make a vampire movie? Mm, yeah. Did no. he? <laughs> just anyway, anyway, we could, you you tell us, listeners, <laughs> as we move into our final most noteworthy film. Uh, yeah, a ooh. film I I can't believe that. Yeah, we we got a new release that's never been on DVD, and it's this is the wow. highest grossing movie of the week. Wow, Laurie Metcalf, yay! <laughs> Chloe Webb, David Strathern, Strathern, uh, Barbara Hershey, Gabriel Byrne, Deborah Winger. It's a dangerous woman. What's to become of a woman who won't stand for lies in a world that can't handle the truth? prison for the rest of your life for this. Deborah Winger. I don't lie. Barbara Hershey. Can't protect anyone's reputation. What matters now is you. Gabriel Byrne. Sometimes we have to tell lies just to get to the truth. You think you know everything about don't know anything. A dangerous woman. Rated R. Woo! Dangerous woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't get to see it. Didn't watch didn't it. it. It doesn't even have like great reviews or anything. It's just like it's out it's the biggest movie out this week. It is a melodrama, a soap opera, um, not necessarily in the hand that rocks the cradle kind of way. What was that? That was the one from earlier in the year last year. We were astonished was on the top right. of the box office for so long. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, more of a drama about a woman with maybe uh, mental disabilities um, who keeps getting taken advantage of and like moves in with her aunt and starts a relationship with this a uh, handyman but there's complications and she keeps getting harassed by folks and yeah i i wish we had more De- deborah wing around i would really like deborah winger and um not really her career just sort of petered out or maybe they just stopped being roles for women of a certain age mm. but yeah the thing that ends up being most interesting about this is that it's the gyllenhaal family band project i had no idea Steve, directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal, who is not a director who has come across my path very often. This is one might be his biggest movie. I'd only heard of Losing Isaiah, which we'll get in a, a few years. Um, but I, Stephen Gyllenhaal, father of uh, Maggie and Jacob, as credited here, Jake Gyllenhaal, both making. I don't want to say acting debuts because I think they've been in stuff no. before, but they're. In more prominent roles, that's for sure. They know the guy making the movie. <laughs> yep, and it's written by his wife. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a whole it's a family affair. <laughs> I kind of look to see. Yeah, is this Maggie's debut? Because Jake, we had as the kid in uh, blah, 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 what's it called? I'm trying to remember not too. The, not the Legends of Curly's Gold. What's the first one? City Slickers. City Slickers. God, yeah. No. Okay. This is only this is her second movie. Okay. The other one was a TV movie also directed by her dad. Uh, yes. A Dangerous Woman. <laughs> a Dangerous Woman. Yeah. It's... The reviews were, it was like, it's a melodrama, but uh, like all the acting is really good. And it's like, well, yeah, I expect that. These are all really talented people. And it has just 
vanished from the face of the earth. Right. Nothing to show that it still exists. And that sucks. I hate that. Yeah, that's not really fair to anybody, especially because it apparently made some money. Um, mm. Better, better one above buck point five, one point five million dollars. Hey, whatever. It didn't look like it cost a lot, and it's not like it has a lot to compete with over on television, where I'm much more familiar with the stuff there, such as the Flintstones, <laughs> Holly Rockabye Baby, uh, the sequel to I Yabba Dabba Do. I don't want to go too much into it, but for some reason, I grew up, yes, watching the Flintstones, but more than that, I grew up watching the grown-up version of Pebbles and Bam Bam syndicated on the Cartoon Express in this sequel, sequelized movies, this being the second one, Pebbles and Bam Bam moved to Hollywood and have a baby. So, listeners, some of you listened to the massage minigame in Final Fantasy X2, Uh, when your son was in the room, and my deep apologies to that. I do warn you, you are about to hear Fred Flintstone encouraging his daughter to give birth. So if you don't want that in some public place, skip ahead about 30 seconds now. Uh, Give us a smile, Pebbles. Not now, Dad. We're kind of busy here. Oh, uh, sorry. Push him out. Push him out. Way out. Brad, this isn't a football game. Come on, Pebs. You can do it. Ah, you did this to me, Bon. I'll never forgive you. (laughs) Uh, It's almost unfair because, like, I was reading they couldn't really show this again. It was shown in primetime. And the idea of a labor scene in a cartoon wasn't something they wanted to populate afternoons with. But the Flintstones had been a pioneer for that. First, I think, TV couple to appear in the same bed. First TV couple who was depicted as not being able to conceive and adopting. Whereas the Rubbles, oh boy, could they... No, wait, it might be the other way around. I think it's the other way around. Yeah, but it was the first... They had those kind of firsts on television. Why not show a labor sequence... 30 years on. <laughs> because you have Fred Flintstone saying, push him out, push him out, push him way out. She, she's that crowding, is not Bob. words I have ever wanted to hear him say in regards to someone giving birth. Push, Pebbles, pull. Ah, she shit herself, Bond. She... <laughs> uh, whatever. I think it's... But yeah, this has thoroughly disappeared, although I think you can get it from the Warner Archive Collection if you order it to manufacture on demand or whatever their streaming service is. Why would you? I don't know, but I... I, shit. I have the website loaded up on this computer because I think I told you guys last weekend... I didn't know the uncut version of Mitchell is available there, too. And by God, I'm going to watch the uncut version of Jodan Baker's Mitchell. Uh, I wanted to clue you guys into my absolute favorite thing that's ever happened in human history. Let me put a small asterisk in that. Best opening to SNL of all time. Saturday Night Live this week. Musical guest Paul Westerberg. I guess it's the rest of the replacements who are banned. But your host, Charlton Heston... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is bizarre because I didn't look too hard into this. I just remember this. He's not promoting anything, I don't think. Okay. And he's, so he's, sh- how often does someone show up just for being an old famous person? Like even Betty White showed up with the rest of the female cast of, of SNL alums. But Charlton Heston, and if you have not seen this, the best thing they do, the cold open 
reveals he is sucked into Planet of the Apes. The whole intro is the cast in ape, full ape, uh, Planet of the Apes uh, makeup. Here's Listen to Don Pardo letting you know it's a different kind of episode. Charlton Heston is in it. He has traveled again. Ladies and gentlemen, captured slave Charlton Heston. <laughs> captured slave Charlton Heston. The entire audience is in ape makeup. I have never oh. seen them go this hard for for a cold open and a, uh, a host segment. Or what do they call this? The monologue. To make it even greater, it's one of those where they take questions from the audience and you don't know who Sarah Silverman is yet, but you will recognize her voice through all the ape makeup. I'm pretty sure the other one is Tom Davis. The sole joke being, if you're not a mutant, how come you can speak English? That is the only joke in the monologue. And I think it was this performance that made me fall in love with a cer- certain man. Please envision full Planet of the Apes makeup, a leather vest, his arms are all done, long hair, looks just like Cornelius. Yes. Yeah, am I crazy or are you a, uh, you're a human? Yes, yes, I am. And where the hell do you learn to talk like an ape, you damn mutant? <laughs> yes, it might be the first time I noticed Norm MacDonald on SNL and it was solely his voice. R.I.P. Norm, it still hurts. Um, yeah, so then moving on to, let's get into some kids entertainment here. And by that, I mean Tom and Jerry's Kids, which begins in 1990. A show... Wow, that's, that's yeah. longer than I would have expected. This thing is just sort of like, let's just make 100 episodes and then never do that again. Just dump and, them out. Then takes con- years for them to dump out. Continues in syndication and Cartoon Network. Like, this... I hate that whenever I see Tom and Jerry, which I've seen a ton of, it's the fucking song. This song. This song. Tom and Jerry Kids. Gotta be there where all the action, action is. They thankfully leave the mute. It's still a stupid show. <laughs> I don't care for Droopy and Dripple. Tom and Jerry Kids. It has a crazy legacy for someone my age, and I cannot believe it stands so high in my brain, considering how much Tom and Jerry have done. They just met Willy Wonka. They just had a theatrical film. I still remember Tom and Jerry's Kids more. W- more worthy of my memory, Animaniacs, Little Drummer Warners. <laughs> the Warner Travel to Biblical Times. Yeah, I have been next to my wife in every single birth. I've been uh, taking care of the newborn baby uh, every single time. If any of you motherfuckers came in banging a drum, I would kick you out of my house like nothing. Like not even think twice about it. Okay, well, they're banned for life. Yeah. I, I don't I don't understand it. I, I've tried researching, like, yes, where where does this come from? The the little drummer boy coming from the carol of the drum, first recorded in nineteen fifty one by the uh, Von Trapp family. Wow. That's gonna come up again. Holy <laughs> shit on goddamn Von Trapp. But yeah, he's a poor boy and he goes to the major and he doesn't have a gift, but I can play a drum. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. This kid hasn't been through a traumatic birth experience or nothing. Please, please play a drum at the newborn. I don't get it. I don't get I it either, get but it. I, I'm, I'm once again delving into all my Christmas specials. And I am shocked by like how many pre-1990 took place around that very special manger. There are so very many of them. Many of which involving donkeys and drums for some reason. <laughs> Little drummer boy. It's the only thing I think on Peacock, uh, but I'll take small one all day. 
thank you. Small yeah. one. Hopefully Donkeys. on Disney Plus. Speaking of Christmas specials, though. And uh, yeah, this is Animaniacs Christmas episode, but remember, it's basically the finale of Animaniacs up until recently was the whole Christmas thing, Wacko's Wish. So I hmm. point you over there. But the town Santa forgot <laughs> airs this week on NBC. Um, what the fuck, Santa? Um, Santa, so, what the hell, man? Little twerp called Jeremy Creek writes Claus such a long list of gifts that Santa Claus thinks Jeremy Creek must be an entire town. <laughs> By coincidence, there's actually a town called Jeremy Creek, and they don't get their Christmas presents because of that little twerp. A clerical error? It's <laughs> a clerical error. Whatever. That's how Brazil starts. But you got Dick Van Dyke being your lovely narrator all throughout. Throughout, um, And on NBC, you also have the 12 Days of Christmas. This one I am far less familiar with. So if one of the entities from the 12 Days of Christmas were, were to narrate the story of how all that shit went down, who would you choose? Well, the Animaniacs would be the great Lords of Leaping, I think. Uh, the Partridge in the Pear Tree? It is the Partridge oh, in the Pear Tree. What, the five gold rings aren't going to say nothing? <laughs> Obviously. I can see the opening already. I'm assuming animated. If there's a, Well, howdy, folks. I'm a Partridge, and I live in this Pear Tree. I bet you're wondering how Christmas God is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll bet you're wondering what you can make a Christmas special out of without paying any intellectual property rights. <laughs> you guessed right. <laughs> this song. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it looks pretty neat, Disney-esque. It's all on YouTube. You can check it out there. Yeah, well, that's our Christmas specials this week. Again, nothing is more special than that Planet of the Apes opening. I don't know that it's all on YouTube, but I found it unforgettable. Again, the, they reshoot the entire cast opening with everybody in Planet of the Apes outfits. Awesome. Nice. Uh, video games of 1993, and this is probably, JR, your time to shine, because I was not playing PC games back then, but I was aware of the naughtiness Duke Nukem, Duke Nukem 2, it wasn't quite naughty yet, was it? No, no, yeah. this is pre-naughty Duke, and this is where he's just doing a platform shooter. It is being released on the shareware model, so we do have exact dates for this one. Mm. And it's going to be completely and utterly overshadowed by the shareware that will come out in next week's episode. Really? Mm. But not the next game, because this one... I had on multiple systems. SimCity 2000. This may be my perfect SimCity game. Uh, mm. it, to me, it's just the right level of complexity where I can play it for fun without also getting partial credit for a master's degree in city planning, <laughs> which is how I feel a lot of the modern city builder games uh, uh, expect of me. Uh, but I got this because I was addicted to the Super Nintendo one, mm -hmm. and my dad had a PC, so I was just like, okay. And I like got all the PC magazines that gave you tips on how to do it, and I like followed it to the letter, and it was just so much work as uh, maybe 15-year-old JR to learn how to play it. But once I did, I was like, okay, I'm going to make the bestest city ever. And I've never really gone back to the SimCity experience after this. Every other game was just a little too time-consuming and too much... I can be very lazy with my video games. Eh, I don't want to learn something new. And... <laughs> A lot of times when I've come back to the SimCity formula, I'm like, 
Or I could not. And then I just pull up SimCity on the Super Nintendo because I know how to do that. And it will. And it's hyper streamlined. But this is like mm-hmm. the sequel to one of the most well-received games of our of a generation. And I didn't know they went online so fast. Like, not oh. in this edition, but like eventually with an update. With an updated mm-hmm. edition, excuse me, because they did not have updatable yeah. games yet. Uh, I love SimCity 2000. Really? I love playing it. It's like... Um, yeah, I didn't have it at my house. Played it at my friend's house, um, where she'd just keep building on a city, and then I'd <laughs> I'd come over and I'd build on her city, and it was like cost benefit analysis. The game is just yes, so much of your time is like, well, do I want to keep these? I need an industrial zone, but I don't want to put it next to the school. Yeah. Also, uh, the hack of free power forever that I came up with was pretty good, of because um, they let you terraform. And so I just build a giant mountain and covered in waterfalls and hydroelectric power forever for everyone. Oh. Yay. Yay. Endless fracking. But yeah, cost benefit analysis, the game is a hundred percent it. And honestly, SimCity gave me sympathy for politicians. It really did because mm-hmm. I was like, well, there's always going to be a trade-off. Whatever mm-hmm. you do, it's going to piss off some group of your, your voters. Yeah. I yeah. thought, I thought I, I was stuck on a New York subway and I I messaged my friend like, what the fuck happened to the subway? This was so efficient. And I read this massive New York Times piece and the thing I remember taking away is that like the amount of time it would take to truly fix the subway is longer than anybody's elected tenure. Nobody wants mm-hmm. a broken subway and expects to be reelected over an eight-year cycle. It is going to take like 12 to 20 years to fully fix. So nobody is going to embark on it if they're looking to get reelected. Ever. Ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ever. So when oh, does it I love building my subways. Ah, oh, mm. I was so good at it. I love Very subway. efficient subways. And it, yeah. this, this is a dumb question, but like, you know, time is kind of running out to uh, name your product something something 2000 and uh, <laughs> have it be futuristic. <laughs> so when is the last time we see that that suffix there, the 2000? It's the Ooh. future. <laughs> That's well, a good two, question. Two thousand is the one where they introduced arcologies, right? Where yes, you could, which right, you, you could create super cities. Yeah, an arcology is like a city in a building, and yeah. it did seem oh. super cool to me in nineteen ninety three. And now I'm like, so you never want me to see the sun? <laughs> huh. You can rent it. I see no way this could go horribly wrong. You can rent it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait a minute. I saw that Judge Dredd movie. I know how this is gonna go. Yeah, you can build your own Epcot. And yep. And then if you get bored, you can have a giant salamander eat your shit. <laughs> I am shocked to see funny. Diana come to the table this hard for a video game. <laughs> Look, I know about five video games in my entire life, and this happens to be it. one of them. Okay. <laughs> Did not expect it. I don't even want to move on until you're done. I'm just going like, to. Oh, yeah, I'm good. This. My Talk giant salamander that would come walking through and go. <laughs> I love him. So I never achieved it, but if you like fill your entire city with arcologies, it's supposed to like lift your city up into outer space. Whoa. Whoa. And, and that's like the closest any Sim City has ever gotten to like an end. An ending? Game. Wow. Mm. Uh yeah, you still need to tent can you still tend to it at that point? Or does it leave your air the <laughs> no. game? No, no, no. No. It's home planet needs it. <laughs> <laughs> and also out Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness, also on the PC this week. 
Uh, fun PC adventure game. Uh, multiple ways to solve the puzzles, which I always appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, your first fight is against a killer rabbit, very much based on the Monty Python sketch. Ah. Nice. So, um, uh, that's the type of humor you're getting. It has some really familiar voice actors in Ooh. it, though. Ooh. The cast on the whole is very impressive and also includes Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy. Two and two and two make six. A little bush is in a fix. Jim Cummings, the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Welcome again to the gates of the castle, Borgov. I hope that you've been enjoying your visit to Mordavia. And Russie Taylor, famous for being Minnie Mouse's voice for decades. Toby's my best friend. We play games and tell stories, and I never had a real friend before. You can hear Donald's nephews in that there. Is, yeah, I was about to say, wait, 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 that's Huey, Dewey, or Louie right there. Yeah. No, you liars. She's you liars. all of them, too. <laughs> or was. Uh, and that's a clip from Cannot Be Tamed, a uh, retro YouTuber I quite like. Yes. Uh, Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness, 30 years old. And let's close out the segment with the music. Uh, <clears throat> I would do anything for love. I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that by Meatloaf. is still number one. We also have some new releases, such as The Cross of Changes by Enigma, uh, self-titled by Domino, the self-titled album by Domino, and Lethal Injection by Ice Cube. I may have had one segment where I may have had all of these albums. <laughs> yeah, what, now that we've hit December, the, the new releases are going to basically... Sh- slow down to stop because people want it already in stores for Christmas. But we do have this Enigma album, which I can, I always think about former host, Brett Elson yeah. talking about this song. <laughs> of made him like, want to be a better person. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the sheer, you know, honesty and guilelessness of just like, I can't explain why, but return to innocence by Enigma makes me want to be a better person. Yeah. Like, and I associated it with, sweet. I associated it with, with, with that, sex and honestly. sleep. This is yeah. sliver made it sex Enigma sexy. And I put this album on to go to sleep and I, yeah, I it was sort relaxing. of, yeah, it was sort of marketed that way later on in compilation form, soothing moods or whatever, pure mm. moods. Uh, but we'll close out with Return to Innocence by Enigma. Don't go anywhere. we got to talk about a, the longest Tom Cruise movie of all time when we get back. <laughs> Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo's naked for, like, no reason, and I totally forgot about that. I had forgotten all about that because that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of between Animal House. 
two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Hmm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined, like Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like we have some DNA of people who yeah. worked the National Lampoon magazine. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now well, it's kind that, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, weird. The company doesn't exist and they sold the I name. Think- to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe. And they just, they'll affix the National Lampoon's, I guess the R is for the the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty Hmm. fucking edgy for for its time. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on patreon.com slash laser time. Coming into 2003 with Ludacris, Ludum, featuring Shauna uh, with Stand Up. And it is finally knocking out Baby Boy by Beyonce. Thank God. Two months. Two goddamn months. Mm. Two goddamn months. Thank goodness. Um, Welcome to 2003. (laughs) 20 years ago. Don't don't come after me, Bayhive, but come on. We needed a new one. We were tired of saying it. December 1st to the 7th, 20 years ago, other new music releases include Soul Star by Music Soul Child, Splinter by The Offspring, Self-Titled by Kellis, Terrorist Threats by Westside Connection, Coming on Strong by Trace Adkins, and The Diary of Alicia Keys by somebody else. No, it's by Alicia Keys, which is on Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums uh, as of 2020 list. Um, congratulations, Alicia Keys. Uh, welcome, welcome to 2003, everyone. 20 years ago. Here's a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2003. All sexy people edition. Sexy and talented people edition. People magazine what, sexy. and I invited? <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. You didn't star in a box office shattering movie based on a Disney theme park ride, such as People Magazine Sexiest Man Alive, Orlando Bloom. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. It's Johnny Depp. It's Johnny Depp. That's pretty incredible because that is solely Johnny Depp did not get any more sexy than he had been the last 10 to 15 years. But the movie he was in made him much sexier. It was very again, I think we said at the time being a fan of independent film in the 1990s, you had we had every idea who Johnny Depp was. The world kind of discovers him in pirates and won't let go for mm-hmm. until they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not problematic at all. And uh, then also this week, Gwyneth Paltrow marries Chris Martin of Coldplay. They consciously uncouple in 2016. But hey, that's a good long run for a relationship, right? Uh, Longer than anyone I've ever had, and good for you guys. (laughs) Yep. Got some kids out of it. You're all millionaires. Everything should be fine. Yeah, that's fine. He writes some nice songs about her. What? Yeah, they named their kids something dumb. Who cares? (laughs) They're fine. They're fine. And then Elvis Costello and Diana Krall, they marry 20 years ago and are still together. How rare. Hey, happy anniversary. How rare. 20th anniversary. So good for them. 2003 movies. Let's do it. December 1st to the 7th. First up with the one that's near and dear to my heart, a DVD I've taken with me coast to coast several times. Stephanie Courtney and Michael Blyden and Melvin goes to dinner. Uh, yes. If you are... Taking a comedy nerd class, you may not encounter this movie until your third semester. 
this is <laughs> <laughs> I became aware of this. Uh, Michael Blyden I did know from his Daily Show appearances. Um, I think he did God stuff initially, if you can remember that. Oh yeah. Uh, but he, I remember reading, looking for updates anxiously on the Mister Show movie Run Ronnie Run. They announced Bob Odenkirk has directed a small play written by Blyden into a feature film in a hyper low budget feature film, and it is crazy with its cast. It is. It was based on. Uh, I I know this. Because uh, they went to my college, the the two stars of the movie, and I screened it in advance. And I asked Michael Blyden, why did Bob change the name from Pyro Giants to Melvin Goes to Dinner? And I forget his answer, but that is what I asked. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it becomes this little four-person people who go to dinner and not realize they all have connections with one another, even though some of them weren't aware of it in the beginning, but works in cameos from... The entire comedy nerdosphere, including David Cross, Jack Black, Kristen Wiig is an unspoken, an extra with no lines. Fred Armisen is in the movie. Jack Black <laughs> plays a mental patient in a flashback. It is pretty crazy, but it's very, very low budget. And, you know, I've watched it numerous times. I kind of love it, but it's not for everybody. It's just one of those incredible milestones in that that alternate career where Bob Odenkirk's like, nobody wants any more sketch comedy. Nobody wants me to star in anything. I'm going to be a movie director. And that was a very weird career path until he found a little character named Saul Goodman. And now everybody knows who Bob Odenkirk is and not just me. Uh, but yes, this, Bob Odenkirk's directorial debut. Yeah, this is what I'd always heard. Like, yeah, it's very small and lo-fi and it's kind of you know, it's sort of in the mumblecore tradition, but it's a comedy and it's got a lot of fun folks in it. And I just sort of shrugged and I kind of ignored it. And then I see it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. We never get a movie that has Rotten Tomatoes I at a hundred percent. I know but that, never. that kind of statistic comes from when, when two people show up to review you and both the reviews are positive. Yeah, you get 100%. Just, just about. Yeah. I mean, it basically ended up going straight to video, played a bunch of festivals. You know, it did well at South by Southwest. And it just sort of like, yeah, that was fun. That was the thing we did. It's like, it's less to be seen and more to be shown to agents. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and I ah. again, I, I, I remember these guys. I was recently through Arrested Development on while I was playing something. And if you remember the Jane Lynch arc where she is infiltrating uh, Jeffrey Tambor in prison and there's the FBI guys working working the booth and, oh, God, we're caught. We're on, they're on to us. Wash the dog. And they throw out a stuffed dog and start scrubbing it down with bubbles. Those are the Melvin Goes to Dinner guys. That's what they were known for. That's why they were in Arrested Development. So, yeah, there you go. That's the only other comedy nerd news I have for you because uh, this is great movie nerd news. Michelle Williams, Bob, Barbie Carnival, Patricia Car Clarkson, and Peter Dinklage in his first mega starring role in The Station Agent. I don't think it's possible you could have seen Peter Dinklage and forget him. He was most recently an elf. He is just one of those people with presence, man. Just an incredible voice. People started taking notice and gets this weird little indie uh, out of him that's quite charming. The Station Agent. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, written and directed by Tom McCarthy, who is much more of an actor at this point. And it's like, this is kind of the perfect indie movie in that it's a bunch of characters that are all just sort of interesting in their own ways and then how they deal with each other and their lives. Uh, I remember 
I feel like the theme for this week, especially in 2003, is like, everyone pay attention to this guy. Because mm-hmm. I think it was after The Station Agent or it was after Find Me Guilty where there was a really good article saying Peter Dinklage should play James Bond and it's unfair he'll never get to. Because <laughs> he has this, he has the gravitas. He just has, doesn't have the stature you think of when you think James Bond. Because, yeah, it's about a guy. He's just a guy. You know, the fact that he has dwarfism is nothing to do with it. He's, he's really just kind of a, a grumpy guy who doesn't want to deal with people. He moves into I mean, this partially because abandoned of train station. Dwarfism. Yeah, because people treat him weird. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a little and person. There's a great scene about that when he's mm-hmm. just opening up because he's an incredibly reserved person. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. does not want to deal with people at all. And he is being forced, kicking and st- screaming by all these other people who are lonely, basically. Yep. That's it. They're yeah. just like lonely. And he's a person. And he just gets to the point when he's like, everyone sees me as interesting because I'm a dwarf and I'm just not. And <laughs> he likes trains. There is not a guy. <laughs> there is not much more of a boring. Hum- I, I do like that, though, because people who go and shoot trains, every town I've been to, they might not always have an arcade. They might not always have even a movie theater. But even small towns, there's always one place to get little train cars. <laughs> it's this little hobby that has transcended all hope and time. <laughs> that you st- Your town probably has one too, and you don't know about it. It probably has, yeah. I had a friend who was into trains. Yeah. Um, a author friend of mine, a great writer, good teacher, and he just has this really elaborate train set and i was like looking at it one time when i was at his house and i was like so what's this guy's story here is he going to the mail he's like stories i am not telling you stories about my town i am not (laughs) doing that yeah well that's because i thought he'd be like oh i'm a writer and i make trains so obviously all the characters in my train set have elaborate backstories and uh, deep, rich inner lives, but he shut me down on that front really well, quickly. I, I, well, that's that is the obsession with trains is a weird one and dates back for a couple. And that's not important here. It's just I only find it weird because being obsessed with all trains are built to do are move people or things to people. Well, and, they they were revolutionary. Yeah. They literally changed uh, for all of human history. You could move fifty miles a day over land mm-hmm. if you were lucky if you had really amazing roads a great horse you could do 50 miles in a day at your best and that was true 5000 bc and it mm-hmm. was true 1700 ad and then trains came along and they brushed aside that speed limit that had existed for all of recorded history and prehistory that was huge and i get why you could be into them they're powerful they're beautiful in their own way i I think trains have beauty sure no i'm i'm mildly obsessed with trains i i know about the train shops because we would build a christmas train set every year and then you meet the people who are like no these specific locomotives and cars are expressly important (laughs) for different reasons and i a lot of those people like to go find them in the wild or take pictures of them peter dinklage is both uh, I've often said by uh, middle-aged white guy law, when I retire, I have to get really into uh, World War II airplanes ah. or Civil War battlefields. Mm-hmm. But there is an asterisk. I do have an out. I could get it really into trains as well. You could do trains. That is the third option. 
I got news for you though, buddy. The store in my town covers all of those interests at the same time. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, the dad store. Yeah, the that, dad now store. that's my ambition. I want to open a store just for dads. Yeah, call it the all dad store. Dad stuff. There's stores for moms. There are stores for dads. So anyway, yeah, the station Big agent poster for the local Civil War reenactment <laughs> yeah. right next to the uh, uh, advertisement for the latest HL model train that existed for <laughs> one year in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> but yeah, I think in the end, it's kind of like this is also a small town movie. It's like it's a small town where not a lot happens. And so just having someone different move in makes everyone sort of, I don't know come out of their shell some like bonnie Con- bobby Cannaval is so much fun in this movie just a guy who's just yeah. so bored and cannot stop talking <laughs> and you know this guy keeps shutting him down i don't want to talk to you i don't want to no i don't want to be your friend and he's like hey you ever have sex with like a regular chick <laughs> like dude shut the fuck up <laughs> patricia clarkson also absolutely killing it i'm kind of surprised she didn't pull some more uh, award nominations in this it's just someone who's going through some major depressive issues and God, yeah, everybody kicks so much ass in this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I want. There's so many indie movies that are just like a bunch of characters hang out, like just like we just talked about when Melvin goes to dinner. And it's like, why do some work and some don't? And the stage right. music just because fucking works. These characters are real. I at no point was ever like, you are not human beings. You are a device for your writer to uh, comment on the gross economic system of capitalism and how it represses mm-hmm. everyone and how if only everyone r- r- really liked writers more, everything would be better, especially my ex-girlfriend, Cheryl. Who, Come on, Cheryl, just get back to me. <laughs> I mean, there are indie movies we watch where I'm like, okay, writer, I see what you're right. doing. Here. Or, or Melvin, or, goes, Melvin goes to dinner where he exclaims, uh, whenever I smoke marijuana, I come so fucking hard. I almost shit my pants. That's <laughs> yeah, but at least in this one, it's not like you know, life is like a train. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, Diana, now I'm picturing that this movie, this exact movie with just that one line added, <laughs> and it really instantly drops down like two grades. Uh, god, I hate when people do that. I hate it so much. Leave your metaphors at home. Mm. And, yeah, Station Agent, huge recommend for me, man. Yeah, man, big recommend for me. One of the big recommends of the week, honestly. It's why before, if you saw this movie and then rate get Game of Thrones and heard they were adapting it, there's only one person to cast as Tyrion Lannister. Like, and mm-hmm. when, yep. once they did, it's like, uh, that's a guaranteed watch for me. I'm in. Yep. Um, everyone, everyone was on board with Peter Dinklage after this, including my main man, Artie Gold. We all loved you in the station agent, Peter. Fucking hope so. That's why I signed on with you people. Uh, well, if you would have signed on earlier, we could have slipped you into Bad Santa. Actually, I passed on that, though. Thank you. You're one of the biggest actors in this town, Peter. What is that, a play on words or something, dickhead? I tolerate agents. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn, yeah. I mean, he probably could have. That role was probably his, if he wanted it, in Bad Santa. Yeah. That's true. I just I, I recommend uh, everyone go look up Peter Dinklage's big scene in Living in Oblivion. Mm-hmm. So fucking good. Yeah, and, yeah. and I didn't realize that it was him until like years later. I realized, oh, my God, that's that one guy. Because, yeah, he's got a scene because it's about a filmmaker played by Steve Buscemi. And he's doing like a dream sequence where like the girl he loves is marrying this little person. And he's like, this is such a fucking cliche. But this is weird because I'm short. 
What makes this short? Yeah. Oh, I'm a freak now just because I happen to be short? Mm. That makes this a nightmare. Ooh, I'm so scary. God, you suck. <laughs> and I I did not realize it was him until years later. And then yeah. it was like, yeah, that fits perfectly. Like, and it's, it's an amazing scene. Yeah. And, hey. uh, yes. Okay, let's let's talk about a couple bad movies. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Francis O'Connor, David Swellis, and Billy Connolly, Gerard Butler, and Paul Walker in Timeline, an, an unstoppable <laughs> Michael Crichton adaptation. <laughs> it's one of these movies. That, it's another movie like it. This doesn't exist. Like it's got all these mm-hmm. people. It's directed by Richard Fucking Donner. His second to last film. I didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even bother to watch it because I read the reviews and was like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> this I sounds don't... awful. Why? Battle sequence use medieval reenactment. <laughs> oh, skip it. Skip it. Yeah. A uh, uh, professor accidentally goes back in time to like the 1300s and then his, his students have to go save him and something, something Terminator time loop, something, something. <laughs> See, I I was a sucker for time travel movies at this time. I was like, oh, man, I love it. Go back to that and snore. I mean, you have to work really hard not to entertain 2003 JR with a time travel movie. But this succeeds. That's almost a feat in and of itself. I mean, for Pete's sake, I like Terminator Genesis. Son, shouldn't admit that on the. I'm. I'll take that out. No one should know that. All right. No one should yeah, know that. Yeah, that's my secret shame. Please edit this hey. out. Um, I was happy enough to talk to my lady friend, and I just wanted to re- relay her anecdote of Station Agent, where she said Bobby Carnival has never been hotter. And then I yeah. asked her about the next movie, and she was just like, "Oh, I wanted that so badly. This movie so badly to be a camp classic, but it is nowhere near as bad, yeah. and it is nowhere close to good." And, oh, good point. And, and how infuriated she was that uh, Lil Romeo, Mackay Pfeiffer, and Jessica Alba's Honey is not worth a rewatch. You found something that you truly love, and that's better than something that makes you rich. Let's become one with the beats, and don't worry about me stepping on You got skills, and that's going to take you places. All that real dance training going to waste. This is what I do. Stand up! When I move, you move. Honey, honey, dance, passion, yeah. it, inner city formula. formula. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to tell you here. Um, that is a fantastic point because mm. uh, yeah, this movie is like, wow, this is really bad, but I. I could see ways this could be fun. Mm-hmm. And I realized, no, I'm thinking of ways that could be more fun, bad, and yep. campy. Yeah. But it's about Jessica Alba is a dancer who wants to be a choreographer for music videos and also help all the little urchin children <laughs> not get into drugs. Oh, no, that kid got into drugs. And and then, oh, she starts to become more famous. And, oh, no, the fame has gone to her head. Oh, no, there's a bad guy who's sexually uh, being rude to her. And wow, it turns out maybe fame is hard and maybe I should be with the guy who was there all along and there's more dancing. Yeah. Isn't it always the way when there is a female character who is achieving her goals, the turn in the screenplay is always that guy who was helping you just wants to get into your pants. (laughs) And well, that's it. That's the only one. 
Because also, writers write what they know, and anytime they're helping out a young, struggling actress, <laughs> they want to get in her pants. Uh, and and uh, it should come as no surprise. This was intended for someone else. I'm not the. I'm not one here to critique the dancing, but it was supposed to be Aaliyah. That probably mm-hmm. would have been a different movie with a different trajectory. And then they were like, we'll replace her with Beyonce woman, and that didn't happen. And you get Jessica Alba, who I'm guessing is a fine dancer but i also it's all right that's not gonna get you the same set of eyes as Aaliyah and beyonce would have no um uh, yes yeah. it is it interesting was... the conflict though was between being a ballet teacher or being a hip-hop dancer and i do wonder over the last 20 years if you were a hip-hop teacher would you have a better chance at a sustainable career than a ballet dancer you would have i feel like hip-hop has kind of yeah. like grown faster than ballet over the last 20 I'll years i'll tell you what would have happened you it's a difference between young white women and older white women hip-hop dancers you would have taught older white women there <laughs> you, you mm-hmm. might have the same chance at the same job similar pay yeah. i hmm i don't know it does have a lot of fun uh early 2000s fashions if mm. that's the kind of thing you're nostalgic for i mean which have all basically come back so yeah let's all just years. dress up like honey now i guess <laughs> all right how about enough honey and on to the one that i know people probably want to talk about a little more uh hiroyuki sonata billy Connolly, timothy spall ken wantanabe and tom cruise it is number one at the box office because it's the last samurai what I have seen on the field of battle has led me to question my purpose. You cannot escape. You have no idea what their weapons can do. The Last Samurai, rated R, starts Friday, December 5th. Dances with Dragons, The Last Samurai. Mm, Um, Yeah, Dances with Samurai. mm. Huge hit. It's one of these movies that's like, this made how much money? This is like the sixth highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, and I I don't know whether to to attribute it to DVD or The Matrix, but many of my friends right now were caught up in anime. JR had passed along a meme that had the word weeb in it. A lot of my friends were that, and a lot of them went to a historical epic in a Tom Cruise movie who never would have otherwise because of the setting. It was one they were dying to see on screen. And I, I had friends who like almost watched exclusively anime. you got to see The Last Samurai. I just bought it on DVD again. <laughs> Japanese culture has always had a big appeal to Western audiences, almost from the exact moment it was really opened up with uh, Commodore Perry. Uh, It took America by storm, and there was always really a lot of interest in the culture. And this is an extremely popular film in Japan. Really? Huge success in Japan. Biggest success of the year was one of the top 10 highest grossing movies in Japan for a long time. It's no longer on that list, but it took a while to get off. The Japanese also really love it when Westerners are into their culture. They are fascinated with the Western view of Japan. And Mm -hmm. when I was in Japan, my girlfriend at the time was exceedingly excited that Tom Cruise, 
you know, arguably one of the biggest stars in 2003, mm -hmm. was making a movie about her culture. Yep. She wanted to see that. She was very excited about that. And that was reciprocated by the Japanese population as a whole, who really enjoyed this film. Huh. Yeah. I mean, the, I, the, the, guy, the guys I'm mean, thinking I... of were all people who spent years in Japan teaching English, coming back with an affinity for Last Samurai. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess I can see that, but I could also see people being wary of like how how much are they going to dumb it down? How much are they going to make it for an American audience? How much are they going to oversimplify things or make us noble savages? Because well, plot-wise, yeah, it's going to be exactly the same as Dances with Wolves. It, well, I will come to this movie's defense. Tom Cruise's yeah. character is not a white savior because yes, he doesn't save jack shit. <laughs> he gets captured. That's his big accomplishment. He lives among the samurais. He experiences their way of life. And then he watches it die. Because Tom Cruise is not the last samurai. The samurai are the rebels against the Meiji reformers. And so, historical geek here, I am 100% on the Meiji reformers' side. Okay. I think mm. the samurai in the rebellion of the 1870s are 100% the bad guys. Mow them down with your Gatling guns, <laughs> Meiji reformers. Because they're fighting for feudalism. They're yeah. fighting for a way of life where they get to kill any peasant they want because he disrespected them. Uh, they're fighting for the past. Uh, Japan was much better off uh, modernizing because if you didn't modernize, you got conquered in this period. That's mm -hmm. it. If, if you didn't have the strength, you just got conquered by other people. And the Meiji reformers were very, very wise. Some of the best reformers in all of history, in my opinion, managed to pull Japan from a medieval world because Japan, pre-Meiji, was a literal medieval society mm -hmm. to a modern one in 50 years. It's as Pretty close nuts. as we've ever gotten to time travel. It really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, to run down the story a little bit, uh, Tom Cruise plays a uh, American army captain who's been fighting in the Indian Wars, who's on the Union side in the Civil War, and, and this is actually based on real people, but most of them were French, um, mm -hmm. is brought over to Japan to help modernize their army because uh, they don't have guns. Like, they're used to not working with uh, modern weaponry. And, uh, yeah, then he gets captured by, you know, like the samurai, and he learns to, like, respect their ways and think, well, maybe they're maybe they're changing too fast. They, they shouldn't lose track of, you know, the traditional stuff. It's like, but samurais are kind of like the mob. <laughs> in reality so but anyway you know honor glory honor glory and then there's a big fight and all right good things no i don't think he is a white savior character uh that's nice number two he doesn't become the bestest samurai of all the samurai by nature of being a white guy number three gorgeous looking film i've forgotten how beautiful really, really this is cinematography by john tall who's one of the best and it's it i don't um, know if there's no cg in it but like it just it looks so pretty that I don't know how doctored those images are. I guess they filmed mostly in New Zealand. Okay. They found an area of New Zealand sense. that kind of looked like Mount Fuji, and mm -hmm. they kind of set up camp around that. Wow. Um, does it have a ninja attack? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I needed to know. Does it have a ninja attack? Yeah, it's got a fucking ninja attack. Like overall, I mean, I do. I was thinking about this also in the category of historical epics. We don't 
get like they're, they're kind of there was a period where we didn't really get any mm-hmm. and then and then we start getting them in fits and starts in the 2000s we kind of have a bunch like you could also put master and commander in that category of yeah the historical you know crowd of thousands sword fight movies with guys with swords we we have periods where we don't get any and then we get a bunch of them and it's like overall is the, i guess this is one of the better ones i mean the big thing and even in the promotion for this movie i remember it being the big thing of them being like you guys we found this actor in japan who is the best actor <laughs> you have ever fucking seen and guess what they were right yeah. Ken Watanabe is a fucking amazing actor. And he had mostly been doing kind of like Japanese prestige dramas, mm-hmm. like on TV. And they bring him in and it's like, yeah, shit, he lived up to the hype. He's a fucking great actor, man. Yeah, yeah this is the film that gave him us to the West. Mm-hmm. This is the film yeah. that introduced him to the Western audience. So it's like, well, there's a Japanese role. Who should we cast? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> He'll he'll be in Batman yeah. in the Nolan verse very soon, as a result of that. And yeah, it's just awesome. Let them fight, Ken Watanabe. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but I think this is a solid film. It's a bit long. Oh, yes. I think they yeah. could have probably cut a half an hour and been just fine. But this is also a movie that's having a conversation about historical space. Um, historical dramas are not primarily designed to tell the story of the time they're set in they're designed to speak to the people who are watching it they're wow. designed to speak to the people who are producing it like a civil this war statue much yeah mm. this is very much a 2003 movie uh japan had been dragged kicking and screaming into the iraq war they did not want to do that. Uh, the Bush administration leaned very heavily on them. The prime minister went along with it, even though like, practically no one in Japan wanted to. And Japan sent its first troops overseas since World War II. It was, a, it was a big deal. That's a big and deal. There's moments in this film when it's very much Japan trying to have a discussion with itself. We don't have to be completely ashamed of our history. We can stand up to America. We can take honor in the samurai's legacy even when we move past them. And that's actually text in the movie itself because the samurai of the 1850s haven't been at war in 250 years. The Senjoku Jidai, the period of Japanese civil war, when we think of most samurai epics resulted in a period of two and a half centuries of relative peace in Japan. So the days of samurais doing huge giant battles, mostly over. And what the samurai were at the time of the Meiji reformers was more bureaucratic policemen like uh, gerrymanders uh, trying to keep the peace rather than fight giant wars. But they looked back on their ancestral past just as this film is looking back. Still never clicked for me totally, <laughs> just because I yeah, maybe yeah. knowing that uh, I, I've I've never been able to watch this in one sitting because it is exceedingly long, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a solid two and a half. Uh, I agree that you could cut probably half an hour out of it, and you'd you'd be fine. It's a long that um, feels long is my problem. Yeah, it feels like I I think. The, the rewatch, it was better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely give it that. It was better than I remembered. I ended up, yeah, enjoying it as a historical epic, even if, yeah, there's... I, I represent Representation-wise, um, 
I don't know. Some of the characters are a, a little cardboard, uh, but I mean, that was also spread out between the Japanese side and the American side. It's like kind of everyone is just sort of like, I am a dick. Oh, yeah. Well, so am I. Like, okay. Yeah, I get it. You're you're bad. As a film about colonialism, I guess they could have underlined that more. Sort of like if we build up our army using Western tools, we can fight off Western invaders but aren't they kind of invading by helping us build this army in the first place? Yeah, not a lot of movies about colonialism. Colonialism yeah. sucks. It's the cause of every problem. Anyway, Last Samurai. Last Samurai. Not streaming on HBO Max despite sitting there for months until the Discovery parents started selling every piece of it off. But it's, you can rent it out there. Damn it. Uh, I'm just going to go watch more Ken Watanabe movies. I keep yeah. meaning to watch his Unforgiven remake, and I still haven't. What? What? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, so I'll just throw that in here because it is 2013. There is a, a Japanese remake of Unforgiven, which I love taking the tradition of taking samurai movies and turning them into westerns like Western, Magnificent Seven. Yeah. They did the opposite. They took Unforgiven and they made a samurai version of it starring Ken Watanabe in 2013. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. I'm going to go watch that. That sounds like a must see. Um, good, because there's not a lot of stuff to hang your hat upon in TV. No. As we move into TV, December 1st through the 7th. Uh, first up, I don't even know how to talk about this because it's fun yeah. to go back and look at critics talking about this show because uh, this type of show had already been pioneered in cable, but it now is coming for networks. So the amount of eyes on a show like The Simple Life as it debuts this week on Fox, it, it kind of starts a firestorm of conversation about celebrity and entertainment mm -hmm. that I, I don't know. I don't really care that much about anymore. I just come to accept, you know, reality programming is going to be cheap and easy and they're going to make those things. But it does make Paris Hilton is already kind of a household name. Because of a sex tape. Because okay, of a there, sex tape. But a limited amount of fame there's, you can there's get other from a sex I mean, tape. she's in the Cat in the Hat movie, not because of a sex tape. <laughs> she's she, she all of a sudden is being photographed at all these gala affairs. And like, uh, it because starts, of the sex tape. Because of the, it, yeah. is because, it is not, not because of the sex tape. But, uh, now, I, but I, my point is, I feel like this is what expanded her into like yes. really full-on... Everyone knows who Paris I Hilton think, is. South Park is going to make a show about her. Um, it is this gave this her pop, show. pop culture legitimacy is bestowed exactly. upon her by the Simple Life, which it's fun. What hearing critics write about it like this is undeniably entertaining. Watching Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, these rich girls, get grossed out trying to clean toilets and raise horses, but it is also yeah. It's a remake of Green Acres. Yeah, a little That's bit. That's what it is. It is 100%. The concept was, what if we just make Green Acres? And Green Acres was that 1960s cheesy TV show with mm -hmm. Zsa Zsa Gabor where she goes to live on a farm. And it's just that with a bunch of L.A. party girls. I would rather watch this where they have to do something yeah. than watch uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians where it's just people sitting around. Mostly people sitting around. At least torture like, them. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the difference between the real world and real world world rules challenge. <laughs> but with uh, famous socialites having to, yeah, uh, catch crawdads or work at a nudist resort. Sure. I, I, just, I would so much rather watch that. I didn't realize until recently that Paris Hilton 
was the same age as me. And I think yeah. that that colored a lot of discord discourse in our uh, in my friend groups. And I don't think a lot of shit said about her was right or very nice and just semi unwarranted. But like also, you know, I get it. She didn't really earn any kind of celebrity. Her celebrity yeah, status. Yeah, I mean, these the Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie are kind of like the they were the poster childs for Nicole 15, babies. 20 years of people who are famous for being famous. Yep. Yeah, and I, that there, yeah. there you go. I think that's that's what we're getting into now because these weren't the Osbournes who you know who right. you know who Ozzy Osbourne is. You might know Sharon Osbourne. And who the fuck are these kids? Whatever. That's a package deal. You're not getting the Hilton family or Lionel Richie. You're just getting their children. And yeah. I don't know. I, I think it. Yeah, it just it just reminds me of a lot of negativity that I don't want to reflect back upon very well because it ultimately was pretty meaningless. And whatever this yeah. was got way worse. But a surprise hit in eight episodes and I think like 15 million people watching this, like when it's Good dumped Lord. in a time where they think no one's going to watch it. And yep. yeah, kept- yeah, we got mid season replacement time. Also, I mean, I have, I, I don't know Paris Hilton as a person, but I appreciate that she has used her platform pretty recently to talk about the troubled teen industry mm-hmm. and how destructive it is. Mm-hmm. Nicole Richie, I don't care what she's doing uh, unless she wants to, you know, pick something and really dig into it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Factory farming. Well, (laughs) the common critique about Paris Hilton I always heard was that she didn't work, which wasn't actually true. She worked exceedingly hard to be famous. She was rich enough that she could have just never Never actually worked. She, she 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 would do what I would have done with that type of money, disappear and have fun with my friends. Instead, to, to be famous for this long does require work. But what's fascinating about her to me is that the moment she stopped working, she dropped off the fame radar. And you'll see an occasional thing about her. But to me, that was always just proof that everyone who is famous right now is working at that. They may complain about it at some time, but if they ever want to stop, they will be gone very quickly. You have to constantly work at fame if you are famous at this moment. They don't note the irony about complaining about being famous while posting about it on Twitter or X, because that's work too. And and then hard pivot into something I didn't know existed but couldn't check out. The Tracy Morgan Show debuts on NBC. Is this a soft launch for 30 Rock? No, it is a legit sitcom for Tracy Morgan. He owns an auto repair garage, and I knew nothing about him before 30 Rock. And I, I was shocked that this was even a show, honestly. Oh, he's a lovable man, and yeah. you definitely. Uh, learn. Can I, can I just point out this? This means Tracy Morgan has finally defeated Tony Danza as the king of the name of the character is <laughs> the same as his first name, because on the Tracy Morgan show he plays a guy named Tracy. <laughs> Thirty Rock, he played a guy named Tracy, and on the last OG he plays a guy named Trey. Wow. Wow. He has to always be called Tracy. R.I.P. Last OG. Also this week, Line of Fire debuts. Big shrug for me. Shrug. 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 Uh, the best Chrismica ever on the uh, episode of the <gasps> OC. Oh, this would be the first of the Chrismicas. Oh, tell me more. The OC, uh, they in, not invented, but super popularized Chrismica that mm. you can combine Christmas and Hanukkah if you live in a blended family. And they did a Chrismica episode every year. And Chrismica as a concept, I think I want to say the next year or 2005 is when it really takes off as like there are articles about mm-hmm. how to make the best Chrismica. And the Catholic League like comes out opposing Chrismica. Like that's insulting 
you should not combine Christmas and Hanukkah. And it's like, shut up. I'm, I'm shut happy up. to report. I do it. Off, irrespective of anything we talked about, I think I related some of this to Diana. I had this lovely, old, much older than me neighbor, uh, Jewish lady, and I always like, I'm going to put these holiday lights up, but I'm not going to do any Santa or any Jesus or Christmas. I want to keep it non-denominational. And she's like, oh, that's cool. I understand. Thank you. I, that Christmas can be a little much. And so I was like, I found an inflatable Hanukkah bear for the front yard. Do you approve? And she's just like, I don't want to offend you, but that is the most goy, garish horseshit I've ever heard of. And I don't, she texted me two days ago and like, I really missed your yard. And she showed me hers and it is like eight inflatable <laughs> Hanukkah, uh, including the one I looked at this year, almost bought, but Hanukkah shit is way expensive, I guess, because of how limited it is. Dinaka, the yamaka wearing dinosaur holding the dreidel. Uh, that what is his eight? real name, Dinaka. Look him up. Dinaka with two Ks. Uh, he is very real. He is $140. And if you want to send it to me, I'll give you my address because I'm not paying that. That's a lot of money. Uh, but yes, she, yeah, she, she filled her. There is something kind of fun about throwing a bunch of crap on your house. And I, I love that she's like, yeah, I missed it. I, I tried to recreate it. I'm like, I'm so proud of you, Deb. Ah! <laughs> Chris, yeah. I Chris mean, McCubb. this stuff for blended families is tough uh, in particular. I mean, uh, Christmas uh, time for Jews can be rough just because it is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of Jews who just take the secular parts of Christmas and and they have their own thing um and you know that's that's your call i i've never really done that but she gave me all her know. blue and white lights when she moved <laughs> oh nice but yeah but there's plenty of people it's like okay you know we we can partake in a our own version of secularized christmas because everyone like because evergreen smell good inside I, I understand that you know it's they're both holidays about lights and being together at the coldest darkest point of the year so yeah, obviously, if you want to have a Hanukkah bush, sure. <laughs> want to make Christmas last eight days, sure. Do do you, man? Yeah, she, she would have one big ass Hanukkah party, invite me over, all that stuff, but would only throw up lights for the party, and it was a lot of lights. She <laughs> wow. was a lot of lights. Like, keep them up, man. This is great. Uh, anyway, anyway, Chris, right, yeah. I, I got to ask Diana. Explain to me the theology before Dinaka, the Hanukkah dinosaur. <laughs> All right, let me look him up. Dinaka, the Hanukkah dinosaur. All right. So, yes. Oh, he's he is a big T-Rex. He's wearing a nice blue Hanukkah sweater, and he's got a giant dreidel. Turn, turn to the back. Oh, he's very cute. Oh, he's got a little yarmulke on, He's got a yarmulke. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> He's so cute. He's very cute. I'm tempted, guys. It's I'm really tempted it's to pricey. just order it and not tell my wife and wait until she leaves and goes out shopping and then she comes home to an inflated Dynica. You know, we can they, make this patreon.com slash laser time. Let's make it happen for everybody. <laughs> it's high time. We got a dinosaur Hanukkah character <laughs> worked in here somehow. At least his religion allows for it. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's also Unica, the Hanukkah unicorn, wow. whose mane is composed of candles from wow. the menorah. <gasps> I love oh it. my! Oh my God! <laughs> I think I got to go with that over Dinica. I don't know, man. Oh, Big the, Dinica fan. Yeah, Un Unica has a a very My Little Pony look to her. Mm -hmm. 
and it's like rainbow colored. To, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm very glad I got to introduce this concept to everyone. Dinica, get one. I'm very happy. Get one. Yeah. It's Chrismica ever. If yeah. So Chrismica is someone who like, I don't care about Jesus at all. I just like garish lights and old cartoons. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's incorporate and uh, make it as inclusive as possible. And uh, yeah. thank you. Looking up uh, ABC TV movie set at the Denver airport, picking up and dropping off. <laughs> Woo, Denver airport. Yeah, you are the worst really airport ever. Oh, my gosh. I've flown out of it. They're doing construction. It's horrible. It's awful. Ugh. I've had better experiences in recent time, but yes, it's the only time I'm riding a subway you made and really close to missing my flight. I had nothing to do with the planning of any of this. This is all on you. What's going on? Yeah. Everything went according to plan. I'm going to miss my flight. So a uh, divorced father and a separate divorced mother keep meeting at the Denver International Airport How? when picking off their kids and sending off their kids to the uh, exes for the holidays. It means they must have their exes lived in the same place. No, you can fly to multiple places. That airport, airport is huge. It's the biggest. It's like one of the biggest airports we have. The odds of seeing the same person again and again is ridiculous, but here's a clip. This holiday season, expect to find love where you least expect it. You met someone at an airport? An ABC Family original romantic comedy from executive producers Lisa Kudrow and Dan Bukatinsky. Will Cheney runs to the airport every Christmas. Where is your son Okay, okay oh. enough. I just want to complain about... <laughs> I told you last week, dude, these Hallmark movies are hilarious. We've already had our fill... Basically, with Scott Wolf, who's in this, his very Scottish Christmas. Holy shit. Nobody sets foot in Scotland in a very Scottish Christmas, with the exception of a drone or two. Like, that is South Carolina, motherfuckers. Like, there is there is a world of difference. How dare you? How dare you try and pass it off as Scotland? Uh, oh, nice. Oh, God. I, you know, if, if we're going to talk about combining... We've got to talk about Christmas. We do have to talk about Please. the Hallmark Hanukkah movies. Yes. Which they do generally one every year, which is not, uh, fair. That's fair. Um, I'm just quite. looking to see what is what is this this year's. Please. Because I've seen two so far and mm -hmm. I've heard about one of the other ones. One of them was about like her boss wants her to decorate this house for Christmas, but she doesn't know what that is. But she's a Jew. <laughs> but she's a dumb Jew. <laughs> she's never heard Christmas. What's that? Honk. Uh, right. And the other one was like, she's going to bring this guy home for Hanukkah, but turns out he's not Jewish. He's a goy. Klezmer music picks up. It's like, okay, well, at least that maybe is teaching people about Hanukkah. But yeah, no, we, we know. This is not a new Christmas concept is. to Jews. Jesus Christ. We've, <laughs> I mean, we, sorry we've for that expression. About, Technically, we've known about him longer than you have. <laughs> Damn, you waited uh, 2,023 years. years to make that burn. It's a mic drop. It's a mic drop on all Christmas celebrators. Oh, my God. So I was thinking about this last night because I don't know why. I just got in my head of who is technically the first Christian? Is it Mary or is it Jesus himself? Did they worship so, their son? Yeah. I, I did have a debate in this about a theology class about whether Jesus would count as a convert to Christianity or not, because if he accepted himself as God the Father right. made into a man, that means he is following Christian doctrine. Right, and that is that, but that is self-love taken to a near toxic degree. <laughs> 
there's there's such a thing as too much. Yeah, I'm probably the savior. <laughs> it is nice to meet me. It, it, <laughs> I'm the alpha and the mega. You know. I mean, mm. if you, you know, those Christmas specials, usually the first Christian is one of those damn donkeys that helps them get there. Mm. And you're welcome. That's true. It's the donkey. The donkey. Does donkey help? Hmm. Small one, baby. It, Small one for life. Is it Joseph because he believes Mary's story? <laughs> he's, Before he's born. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, first believer so, is Joseph. But, but now we have to answer the theological question about whether the zygote knew he was the savior or not. What? Because if the zygote was not conscious and was not imbued with the fatherly uh, spirit, right, then it would be Joseph and Mary. Right. Does Jesus know he's the Messiah naturally from the moment he begins to exist? Right. And does he exist at conception? I feel like we can answer that in about five minutes, but we don't have time. Okay. So. <laughs> All right, that with that, yes, with all that theological discussion of the bait, it's time to talk about 1080 Avalanche snowboarding for the GameCube as we move into the video Whee! games on December 1st to the 7th. Yeah, baby, is this the last of the 1080 series, the weird first-party Nintendo snowboarding series? I, I feel like it is because it was never up to SSX's standards, mm. and I feel like it just never really progressed. Yeah, yeah, and... and and even that one stalled out after a couple a couple entries. Uh, could say the same about Deus Ex Invisible War until it was eventually rebooted about 10 years later. But is it the sequel to De the original Deus Ex? Or? It's a prequel. Prequel, okay. Now I understand. But the only one I really want to talk about is the game I had the hardest time playing as a 23-year-old on a minuscule budget. Pac-Man versus for GameCube because it cost a lot to play this right. Has any game ever demanded as much from you yeah. in the term of hardware as this game demanded? I think that there were regular ass there were regular ass Pac-Man games on it. But the big one was it turned Pac-Man into a multiplayer game. It did that with multiple Game Boys <laughs> and a wire you had to buy that was not inexpensive it was about the price of a game that you could hook up your game boy to your gamecube and i forget exactly how it works but like uh one person can see everybody else basically you take over playing as the ghosts oh. and in pac-man or, or one person is pac-man and the ghosts can see where each other are, but they can't see where Pac-Man is. But you need literally a hidden GBA screen in order for this to work. Otherwise, it would reveal its location. So it was unanimously praised. But like at the time, this wasn't discussed as much. But who is going to get to discover this outside of the people being sent review copies and the hardware? You have to have two Nintendo systems and a special wire and the game. If you don't have that already... I don't know how big a Pac-Man fan you are, but be prepared to spend the equivalent of $500 in 2023, at least, in order to play this correctly. This has been ported to other systems. I've never been able to get it to work uh, well for me, but I've, I've heard great things. This is my white whale of gaming. This yeah. is the Pac... I enjoy Pac-Man. There's an amazing Pac-Man arcade game that's fairly recent-ish where you eat other people. Yeah, it's, the four-player It's a really awesome. solid game. But... I've always wanted to play competitive Pac-Man mm -hmm. against other people, and I've never 
been able to do it with this game. So they, they sold I, it on Switch, and I'm like, this has verses on it. I'm going to jump right in. It was one of those first moments where like, you didn't map the button that's supposed to start this. I have to wait for an update, <laughs> and I just forgot. <laughs> I never did it. Uh, I never did it. So I have it technically on my latest Nintendo system, but I've never been able to play this mode. I'm with you, Jr. Because it was so I didn't know it's on Switch as like. Uh... It's free on Nintendo no, Online. No, it's not free. Get... It's it, you had to buy it, and it's a mode in another Pac-Man package. Uh, I'll okay. double check on that for you off mic. But uh, but you, you can buy this version of Pac-Man versus on the Switch, and I'm I'm sure the lobbies are flooded with people ready to play you now. Uh, and that's about it for the games. Let's close out 2003 with "You Don't Know My Name" by Alicia Keys. She's got an album out this week. That's pretty special. But don't move, everybody. Got one more segment. Stay right there. Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of December 1st through 7th, got a couple of real bangers for you. So, 60 years ago this week, 1963, saw the release of a movie I will never, ever stop bothering people to go watch because it's kind of perfect. It is Charade, starring Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. An amazing date movie, a thriller, it's sexy, it's fun, they're in Paris. It's kind of the best Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock didn't make, but uh, mostly it's just sexy fun of, you know, this fancy lady uh, husband is murdered, and now all these like, this gang of weirdos including James Coburn is like bothering her of like, hey, he owes us money. He stole a bunch of money from us. Actually, he was a criminal. And Cary Grant is along. She thinks he's like with the CIA maybe to protect her, or maybe not, or he's in the gang. Everyone's double-crossing everyone else. Walter Matthau is there, and he's trying to help. Or is he? Yeah, Charade is a good entry point to just kind of classic cinema in general. If you just want to watch something 60 years old that is also, like, sexy and fun and a good date movie, Charade is fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, 50 years ago this week, I saw the release of, well, I think the best animated French-Czech movie I've ever seen, Fantastic Planet, also known as La Planète Sauvage which is a very trippy animated movie about uh, a super weird planet that is super trippy and weird. And some people are super, super tiny and some people are super, super big. Not a ton of dialogue even. It's just kind of like told visually and it's not quite like anything you've ever seen. It is very strange, but it's sort of an allegory about racism, I guess. And like, how do you live together? If you, some people are super tiny and some people are super huge and doesn't everyone deserve rights? And uh, yeah, it's just really, really weird. Finally saw it a couple years ago, thinking it was going to be too artsy for me, and really liked it. So, Fantastic Planet. Then, same week, 1973, saw the release of Serpico, directed by Sidney Lumet. Probably the best Al Pacino is sweaty and frantic movie, and that was kind of a genre for him for a while. He is like the one good cop surrounded by all these corrupt cops and his life is constantly in danger and he doesn't know who to trust and he doesn't know what to do it's based on a true story and Man City Lumet knew how, knew how to do tension just better than anyone big recommend for Serpico and then finally in time for Christmas 
The Wicker Man turns 50 this week. A movie that is actually about Christianity coming into conflict with Celtic paganism. Celtic paganism kind of wins. <laughs> Don't let that ruin the movie for you. Uh, it's got Edward Wood Edward Woodward, TV's The Equalizer. Britt Eklund doing sexy dancing. Christopher Lee wearing some of the ugliest sport coats a man has ever worn. And yeah, it's about this cop going to this island off the British coast uh, trying to investigate. Uh, there's a missing girl and everyone seems to know something, but they're not talking. Also, they're into some sort of weird pagan religion he doesn't quite understand. So if you've seen the very funny Nicolas Cage remake, or even if you've seen Midsummer, you know how things are going to work out. But how they get there is so interesting and tense and watching Edward Woodward just slowly unravel is so good. One one of the finest slow burn horror movies ever made. The Wicker Man, turning 50 this week. Yay, let's all go put on bear costumes and dance around, I guess. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Coming this week with uh, Counting Stars off by One Republic. It's on the charts this week. Welcome to 2013, the 10 and 30 2010. Ten years ago, you made it to the final segment. Congrats, you. Other new releases that come out this week include Life, Love, and Hope by Boston. Boston? Dead Horses oh. by <laughs> Evergreen Terrace. And Black Panties by R. Kelly. Man, I don't... <laughs> it, it's different. Uh, in 2023. I wasn't playing R. Kelly on here, all right? It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Royals by Lord is still number one. Uh, 2013 in news, 10 years ago, December 1st to the 7th, uh, you could have seen China launch its first ever moon rover mission. Ooh. Um, how did they not make space travel cheaper? It's not <laughs> it's made mm. down by melted Happy Meal toys. Xavier Battelle becomes Luxembourg's first openly gay prime minister. I completely spaced on that. And uh, also this week, Pope Francis approves of a proposal to create a permanent post to the Pontifical Commission on Cases of Sin and Sex Abuse of Minors. It's never too late to address problems from the Pontifical Commission. Uh, okay, great. It's a little late. It's a little late. It is a little late, but <laughs> at least the sin? I'm not really that worried about this. Moving on, I can't believe Dogecoin is 10 years old. I thought that was like... I don't know. I guess that was like five years ago uh, when I ended up picking it up. Yeah, but. it's 10 years ago. I am going to bring down the money system by something started as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I mean, you look, Dogecoin is not as low as it's ever been. It's worth about seven cents right now, uh, down from 50 cents at its height. Mm hmm. Sure, yeah, that's going to fix everyone's problems. And I don't want anyone to forget how big this is. I bought Dogecoin a long time ago because a friend, we had partnerships with Robinhood and I had free money. And like, that sounds funny. I made a little money off of it. The reason I still have Dogecoin, this was big enough. I got it free with a Burger King meal. They were giving <laughs> out crypto. That's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how mainstream this became before, uh, you know, the foundation came crumbling down and we all realized it was pretty much 
bro fraud. Uh, yeah. No, plenty of people have not realized yet that that it is bro fraud. Right. Look, it is all it is all a Ponzi scheme. Not Everyone a currency. can't become millionaires. You can only make that's... money off it if you find a bigger sucker than you, and that's not how money that's... works. That's, that's no. not how money works. No. Also, every banking regulation exists because someone did a bad. Did a bad. Did yeah. A big, big bad. Um, yes. But then uh, moving on to the movies of 2013, hope you enjoyed Frozen over your holiday break. I know I did. It's number one at the box office 10 years ago, as it should be. Uh, first up, we have Olivia Williams, Johnny Harris, Goran Kostic, uh, Romola uh, Garay, Elias Cost- uh, Codes, Codiez and uh, Leah Shriver in The Last Days on Mars, which of all the movies this week, I'm like, I'll check this one out. And like, this movie needs to decide if it wants to be a boring indie or like a zombie movie in space. Because it's neither. Yeah. yeah. A sci-fi savor sci-fi survival is kind of hard mm-hmm. you know because this is a bunch of scientists using their big brains to survive a horrible situation and then it just kind of goes full on zombie mm-hmm. i mean the whole thrust is there's some microbe on mars and it makes zombies basically now i have 0.0 fears about cloning dinosaurs clone those suckers we, we've seen like six big, movies about this jr we know and they're all dumb they all forget <laughs> that guns exist and big True. animals are a solved problem we do not have to fear big animals tiny microscopic organisms uh, i can't see those scare me so it's possible when we get to mars if there was ever life there don't clone any of that shit okay just just don't mm. Mm. Nope. Can't wait to see what Mars COVID feels like. Awesome. Uh, And then, oh man, up next, Nas, Vondi Curtis-Hall, Mary J. Blige, Jennifer Hudson, Tyrese Gibson, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Jacob Lattimore. Black Nativity. Black Nativity. Uh, I had had higher hopes for this one because it is inspired, question mark, by the Langston Hughes Black Nativity, which is a, you know, black gospel retelling of the nativity story but this is kind of a story around a production of that it's about like this troubled teenager and he has to go live with his grandparents and and they don't connect and he's like stealing and there's bad things and like everyone learns a lesson and it's good stuff and it's directed by cassie lemons who i really like as a filmmaker and god get ready to hear this phrase again for a cast this big and this good i kind of wanted more from everybody Mm -hmm. like no one gets too much of a time to shine like it's a it's a good idea i don't feel like i wasted my time watching it but oh my i think maybe my hopes were a little too high Mm. so yeah black nativity is kind of a eh, for me but yeah i tried to get into it you know it goes from kind of natural acting to people breaking into their internal monologues and songs that no one else can hear. And that's a that's a valid artistic choice, but it does disrupt the flow. Yeah. Yeah, if you just, just make a big musical. Don't be afraid to... It's, yeah, people are afraid to do musicals sometimes. Just, just do it. Just have everyone sing and dance. Come mm. on. It's not like anybody in this cast can sing, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, up next, Emma Watson, Jeffrey Rush, Sophie Nalisi. Dude, there's a lot of 
a lot of umlauts here. Am I saying that right? The book thief? Hmm. The yeah. Book thief? Uh, right. Never Adaptation. heard of any of these. <laughs> it's an adaptation of the book about uh, a little girl during, uh, well, the lead up to and during World War II in Germany. And she learns to read and she loves to read. And oh, no, they're burning books. And then, like, her family is hiding a kid and they bond, but they're hiding him. And serious jojo rabbit there it's a serious jojo <laughs> rabbit. but not all like super bummer and and depicting you know your average german civilian who's maybe not on board with the nazi thing but they there's nothing they can do about it they just have to hide okay it was fine it, it was just fine kind of not telling me anything new that is what i got from it i watched it and i was like your workmanship like I've seen everything you're telling me before, mm. usually better. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's just that I've seen every aspect of this done better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well put. Yeah. Score by John Williams, though. You know, he oh, almost... very nice. Very it's... good score, and he mm. almost never does anything that's not Spielberg-related in the last decade, right. but... Right. Was willing to do this. Always brought out of retirement by a Star War or a Spielberg. I, I meant to mention uh, what was it? Uh, I forgot the name of the t movie we talked about in the last segment. The G Richard Donner one. Oh, the timeline. Timeline is very technically the last Jerry Goldsmith release score, but the movie was shelved for two years. So oh. back in action, still the last one he wrote, but uh, yeah. that was the last one we heard. And then we move on to the most notable movie of the week. And by most notable, I still haven't heard of it ever in my life. Uh, Willem Dafoe, Forrest Whitaker, Woody Harrelson, Sam Shepard, Zoe Saldana, Casey Affleck, and Christian Bale in Out of the Furnace. How much you loan you? 1500 I ain't got that kind of cash to bail you out. You're going to be a good boy and take a dive. Police haven't been able to find your brother. Don't be the justice and it does not include us. If the locals knew why you were here, you'd be leaving the body back. Ronnie Bates' brother. I ain't leaving without you, cop. Ah! I look like a cop. Out of the furnace, rated R. I just want the sequel for the title. Like, it's a really incomplete sentence to me, Out of the Furnace. <laughs> Call the second one Into the Fire. No one's getting it. Mm -hmm. It's They're getting yeah. it. It's just not funny. Um, yeah. And it well, neither's the movie a uh, melodrama about Br Diana, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about uh, Pennsylvania, declining Pennsylvania, steel town, inspired by and filmed around Braddock, Pennsylvania, because mm -hmm. uh, they found its mayor very interesting. Is this giant man named John Fetterman, ah. who is now senator of the great state of Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe Sarah Sherman called her handsome monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a big guy. A big you dude. can see him coming. He's like six seven. He's mm -hmm. he's he's a big guy. But uh, yeah, so Christian Bale and Casey Affleck are ne'er do well brothers. Uh, Casey Affleck's been doing a bunch of bare knuckle fighting, trying to make money to pay stuff back. Uh, they end up having a fight set up with Woody Harrelson, who's like a fucking psychopath, and you know that because he's from New Jersey, ah. and. Um, Sheriff Forrest Whitaker is trying to stop it, but maybe not. It's okay. Like, and so it kind of made me feel like a, um, shoot, hmm. cop land. Cop it was like land, a rural, right. rural cop land in a way, in that there are like different levels of criminal and mm -hmm. cop dealing with each other. But 
you know, uh, rural coal country kind of thing. But not for for a cast this ridiculously good. It was merely like, oh, that was fun. Just another one of these, like, that was okay. It comes in third this week behind Hunger Games and Frozen. Yeah. I almost want to, like, do, buy man? the movie without watching it again just to, like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to do that. No one can succeed in that environment. Yeah, it's kind of like the book thief where it's like, this is fine. You did a good job, but everything I like about this has been done better elsewhere. Mm. But yeah. it's fine. Yeah, yeah, out of the furnace. It's fine. Well, all right. Yeah, I, I would give it a recommend. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. it's it's a light recommend, though. But yeah, exactly. watching Christian Bale's life just fall apart step by step was a good journey. I, I thought they covered him going from bad to worse pretty well. And he's a fabulous actor. You got to give him that. Yeah, I light recommend. Again, for a movie that, like, yeah, I forgot existed. So Totally. Light recommend is pretty good. You know, as we move into TV, 2013, December 1st to the 7th, here's something I find deeply endearing that I forgot existed. It, probably the best on-screen version of Mad Magazine ends on Cartoon mm-hmm. Network. It's kind of an animated sketch comedy show. Mad TV is probably more bang for your adult buck, but like th- they abandon any <laughs> resemblance to the Mad product after they like got rid of the Spy versus Spy cartoons. It was just an SNL ripoff. Mad on Cartoon Network is geared more towards kids and it contains animated parodies and is a lot truer to what Mad Magazine feels like. And other than that, all you have is Up the Academy by Robert Downey Sr., the terrible sex comedy <laughs> brought to you by <laughs> Mad Magazine. So this has to be the Mad Robot Chicken, uh, <laughs> the Kid Robot Chicken. It ends on, on Cartoon Network, uh, having been on the air for three years. Holy Lord, the live the live phenomenon, which I thought would keep going in our just the the, the day streaming of, era. Yeah, kind of like the I, end. Of, I feel like live is a lot harder to do for Netflix. Has Netflix done no, a well, I meant, I meant live event? The networks, because they were even okay. doing a few years ago, like live recreations of single episodes of sitcoms to mm. garner ratings. So, but live sound of music, like I think every person a little older than me has wanted to force sound of music on their loved one or children. Why not with celebrities they recognize, like Stephen Moyer and Carrie Underwood, who I could not pick out of a police lineup. But <laughs> Sound of Music Live. It, it, yep. Wait, a miniseries? No, it's a movie. Okay. I mean, but yeah, it, this is kicking off them trying to do that. A couple different networks tried to do that for a couple of years of like, yes, let's do a musical live uh, because then it becomes event programming. and. It's at the holidays. People are around. What can we watch that everyone's going to like? Okay, here we go. It's got something for Yeah, I, I'm for it. Uh, look, I'm not against it. If, if something could get me... The live aspect is a really fun reason to tune into television. I did it again this week with wrestling. I was better for it. I've done it uh, more than ever this year with Saturday Night Live, just because I have much less of a social life than ever before. You can stream it live through Peacock. Um yeah, live, I think, is, is it's kind of the thing buoying the sagging ratings of all broadcast television. Experiences yeah, you got to be there for. Yeah, exactly. Let's do, do something different. Yeah, and then... Whatever. Uh, yeah, appointment television. Here, and then... And then something go. I wasn't there for. I caught on late, thanks to friend's recommendation, despite this being one of my favorite blocks in history. Rick and Morty debuts on Adult Swim, and it is joyous. 
It is I glorious. Can't believe it's ten years. Oh my god. It's ten years. Worth. This still feels like a brand new cartoon for me. I didn't yeah. discover it until 2007. Just oh, wow. 2017 is when I first discovered it and just binge watched all of the episodes. And it's not like you get much. No, there's yeah. not that many. It is a slow, slow series to come out. But this first season hits the ground running, and I think it's always regretted that it couldn't be the first season forever. I think the first season has no arcs, no lore, no real like world-building. It's just a pure scenario machine where we've got this madcap inventor. Let's have him go on these wacky adventures and be very... Uh, nihilistic while his uh, very naive uh, grandson tags along and makes jokes and the fans just took to it and then they wanted more deep stuff. I don't think this is inherently as deep a show as people want it to be. I, God, I, no. I think the canon episodes are but for a certain type of person and that certain type of person is kind of only Dan Harmon. But it's an interesting response to the people who think they're smart because they get the show. Like, guys, Dan Harmon's a genius. You don't have to be smart to get community. I love community, and I'm the I'm the opposite of smarts in most areas of my life. That's, I think, what was the beautiful thing about it is that community is all, all the struggle over on the network and constantly on the verge of being uh, canceled at the at around this time. It's, it's the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And then... That guy gets a show on Adult Swim. It is an instant success. It is an instant phenomenon. It is critically regaled and it is rewarded with ratings. I, I just most things don't release like that. There's usually a slow burn, especially in broadcast history. And uh, yeah, I remember I saw it through downloads and DVDs because I did not have cable at the time. But this hit all my friends right in the oh shit! I love Community. I love sci-fi. It's, it's a can we say that it's a really fun sci-fi show? A yes, really, it's a, really it fun is, sci-fi show. It is hard sci-fi, too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Even yeah. though the science itself is just sort of waved away. Of, it's a ray gun that does this thing. Yeah. You don't need to know how it works. But, sure. And just that like, yeah, they don't even bother. Like, it's a purge, Planet Morty. <laughs> if you know yeah. what the purge is, you're fine. You'll be fine. It's yeah. great. Or just uh, using Cronenberg as a noun a and a verb. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> very happy. Cronenberg this up. <laughs> I mean, if you if you didn't see the episode this week, like, oh, you got a quado. Open your mind. Yeah. Open your... All they can say is open your mind. And they never once mentioned Total Recall. Just assume you know what it is. I think they mentioned it. They, oh, they? they did throw, throw it in there because Summer's so upset that she hasn't seen it and everyone else knows what a quado is. Right, right. They did say it. But, but yeah, like uh, trusting... Trusting pop culture fans to get deeper jokes. That's community has always been like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and also like, I don't like the Rick and Morty fans either. The people who think you have to be intelligent to watch it. You just need to have like watched a lot of stuff. And if you've watched a lot of sci-fi, you'll get what they're parodying every time. It doesn't make you smart. It just makes the show more rewarding in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think of it in many ways, it's just filthy Futurama. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent accurate and Futurama had better science than this show Futurama was in many ways a much much smarter show than Rick and Morty yeah Uh, yeah but but also they will have a lot of fun with wordplay in particular um not I think it was a week ago where they had the gun that shoots bad people (laughs) 
<laughs> That's one of the best jokes I've seen in a long fucking time. <laughs> Here's a gun. It shoots bad people. Uh, I, what do you I, expect it to do? A guy tries to mug him and he shoots and um, Jeffrey Dahmer comes out. I said controversially, <laughs> JR, on another show. Shot bad people. That once ah, Rick and ah. Morty came out, there wasn't a Futurama, but it scratched my Futurama itch harder than Futurama did hmm. because it was yeah. funnier and gross and was willing to deal with certain aspects you know the captain of starfleet would never ever do he's not gonna as in this episode force his nephew to smuggle seeds up his ass through an <laughs> intergalactic customs uh it's just it, it's such a grounded good pilot that seems aware of the wackiness that is about to come uh the first season is great. I, the Meeseeks episode was the first one. Oh, I was oh that's the first like genius episode for me. That's the yeah. first one when it's like you guys uh, have hit gold. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's supremely funny, and uh, you know I'm seeing someone now who only knows Rick and Morty by its negative representation on the internet. That, that's so that's a shame. For one thing, you know, people spend less time on the internet just in general. Um, <laughs> Uh, enjoy things away from the fan community is my biggest advice. This show has changed so much since the first season. And the first season, Rick was not a god. Rick was not even the smartest man in the universe in the first season. Well, it's I mean, what it was intended to be. Thing. The the innate, not a, the spiritual Back to the Future TV show for adults. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the filthy sequel to Back to the Future yes. we never knew we wanted. I mean, yep. I think it started out as... The whole point was that Morty had to suck. Yeah, lick Rick my balls, balls, Marty. And it was Doc and Marty. It was not Rick and Morty. It was a, right. a total yeah. trademark violation. You gotta lick my balls, Morty, or we won't travel back in time. Do it, Morty. Lick my balls. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. You can see it. Uh, but yeah, in the first season, he's not the smartest man in the universe. He makes so many stupid, dumb mistakes, like the Cronenberg thing, and he's in danger. You know, once he becomes the smartest man in the universe. The show fundamentally changed between season two and season three, and we'll talk about that when that comes. But for now, um, the early first season was is fundamentally a different show than what you get right now. And uh, Dan Harmon talks a little bit about that in this clip. Man, we've created the perfect fun machine. And then you go, it's just, you can't, you can't tell when you're slipping into like taking your fun machine too seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to put it. And uh, I, yeah, I, Dan Harmon, I think is a genius. And the first season is the only one with any creative input from the other co-creator that has since been jettisoned into space, <laughs> Justin Roiland. Mm -hmm. um, he, you I, mean name redacted? I mean, it's, it's funny. They, the new season puts the created by stuff at the very end of the credits to avoid yep. having to think, because it's not something I want to have to think about given if you've read about homeboys charges and, but it also gives me some solace like, Oh, they haven't spoken in years. He didn't have any creative input after the second season. This is a Dan Harmon show. I always felt it was, I mean, if you've seen that dude's other shows, it doesn't compare to what's happening in Rick and Morty. And it, you also see a lot of Dan Harmon kind of working his, development as a human being and through therapy and to become a better person because he is rick once an unapologetic genius to a former like ooh, when you zoom in on the things that are important these are like his words like the world is meaningless if you look at it from the outside but that's why you focus on it through a family because 
the world is infinitely important to that family. We're all meaningless little little organisms when you zoom out, but zoom in and you see a bunch of people whose lives revolve around one another. And it's all the better for just that the Morty character alone, which I think they said was a the only good executive note they like he's got to stand up for himself he's got to represent the the rest of humanity a little better uh audience surrogate he needs to be smarter and less of a punching bag and morty's become this unbelievably fun character that i love love morty yeah. oh the the voice casting across the board is is really really good and the guys that have come in to do rick and morty now I think they're just they're killing it. They're doing an amazing I, job. But I, it, it, I'm it, it, always happy to hear Chris Parnell's Chris, beautiful voice. Chris Parnell has the won- most put upon man in animation <laughs> history. His his quote from like two weeks ago. Wouldn't it be easier just to give in to the fascism? And then it just cuts away from him. Like, <laughs> 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 just I say that yeah. every time I look at the news. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean Sarah Chalk as, as the mom. I feel like she doesn't get the. She didn't get the props that she deserves, and uh, and Spencer Grammer as Summer. Yeah. Like, she she can land a, a line just. I love her screaming. <laughs> I love uh, Spencer Grammer, and and I also want to tip my hat. They, it seems like people in the production respect not only seasoned animation voice actors. Somebody's playing video games because Nolan North and Troy Baker are there all the time, <laughs> and they're so yeah. versatile and so good and unrecognizable. Sometimes it's awesome, awesome. Uh, Rick and Morty, I think it's streaming on Max, um, up ex- with the exception of the most recent season, which only airs on Adult Swim, which is Cartoon Network. And I, I can't believe I feel like I have to say that because there's younger listeners who might not even be aware <laughs> how to watch new Rick and Morty because it doesn't stream. Uh, mm. It's still locked away in a cable somewhere. And uh, but yeah, I think a phenomenal show, one of my favorite shows of the decade. The toxicity of the fan base and some of the creators has not ruined it for me at all. I think this is my favorite cartoon of the 2010s. Yeah, I'll say it. Uh, I'm I'm willing to go out there, put it down like that. Yeah, it endures, and each episode gets better with every viewing. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, what's the competition for me? It'd be maybe Bob's Burgers of animated shows, which and Bob's Burgers just continues to be wonderful. But this has so much more rewatchability because yeah. they do pack a lot of dense sci-fi crap in there that you might miss the first couple times. And, uh, we, uh, maybe we'll talk about it as we go. But like when they do, there'll some, be a couple episodes we'll bring up. Occasionally, they'll do a canon event that would take Marvel like six movies to describe, and they'll do it in 15 <laughs> minutes. It's astonishing. They did it this season. Yeah. Wrapped up a, like a series-long arc in one episode. It was pretty astonishing. And it, it always does. It always surprises me. And, I, and not to plug something that happened this year, and I this year, Rick and Morty aired an episode with a warning label because the content was so out there it had to air with a content warning this year and made an incredibly dire subject one of the most funny and interesting things i showed it to my dad and (laughs) and he's like jesus christ that was that was pretty interesting he didn't say and then the next day like that was really good actually um are all the episodes like that like no (laughs) but they're still flexing a muscle here um they bring on Harmon credits bringing on new writers younger writers people who grew up with the show it's not all him uh he's just the overseer not even the showrunner anyway rick and morty fantastic i think really really good and i think maybe bought adult swim <laughs> a couple more years of relevancy with uh, rick and morty yeah. 
and mm-hmm. and because I don't even I love saying this stuff to you. Do you know the new season of Aqua Teen premieres this week? I yeah. had no idea, <laughs> zero. Yeah. I only know because I saw the ads during Rick and Rick Morty, and, Morty, and yeah. I'm like, I gotta reprogram my DVR again. Aqua Teen is back, <laughs> and it's like if you live in the streaming sphere, you don't even know. You don't even know. I'm not even sure how I know. I, <laughs> but Rick and yeah. Morty, if you if you've never seen it, and if you can give cast, it a shot, a hundred percent recommend for all those people who have been like, the fan base sucks. So fucking what? Don't yeah. listen to them. Well, enjoy the, the, the what creator you want to enjoy. The creator, yeah. one of the creators is embroiled in, in something just kind of too awful to talk about. But uh, but if if I told you, as someone who's like the rest of the, our show, did you know there's a community meets Futurama out there and you have six seasons worth of it to watch? Wouldn't you be interested? Try and do it. I, if you've been holding off because of it's the, the reputation of its fans... Don't let them. I, I, I've been there. I've been a Firefly fan for years. God, we were annoying fans. <laughs> Very annoying fans. <laughs> and uh, like people who take the wrong lesson from Scarface and Fight Club, don't trust anyone who thinks Rick is the good guy. Yep. Rick's, no. Rick's entire goal in life is to do whatever he wants without suffering any consequences. And even if you're the smartest man in the universe, that's a goal you cannot achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. All right, Rick and Morty fans, are you ready to talk about video games as we round off our uh, third segment? Video games of 2013, Broken Sword, The Serpent's Curse for Windows, Mac, and maybe Linux. Right, PC, Broken Sword. Don't know it. Don't, <laughs> don't know it at all. But what I do know, what I do know is 3D Sonic the Hedgehog for 3DS. I thought this was an amazing series. I have tortured, let's say, a friend of mine who works with Sonic this would be a really fun thing to see in VR, but like uh, all video game consoles will re-release the past to you. But the 3DS was interesting because they could take 2D games and add an interesting layer of stink that is 3D. And Sonic is an infinitely replayable game. I play it every year. I love this version of Sonic, the 3D version. It is amazing. It's just a, a new twist on an already beautiful and perfect game. See, stuff like this, is the sole reason I regret that I don't have a 3D version of the 3DS. I just have the cheap, non-3D effect version. Well, do you and want one? I can send you one. <laughs> <laughs> I would want it solely to play like this and the other re-releases of old games in 3D. Yeah, for they, about really two cool. minutes. I don't know I why them. Nintendo started slow. Like we'll release our old NES games in 3D. Urban Champion first up, like, what are you doing? No one wants to play Urban Champion again. But I was hassling my friend, like, why couldn't we do this in VR? It, it, it'd be a little harder, but the principles are the same. You know, you're separating the backgrounds in such a way to create this 3D illusion. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, also out this week, Assassin's Creed Pirates for uh, for mobile. I this is it still a trend where big triple a games will release some crappy uh <laughs> add-on on uh mobile is that still a thing it, it was a thing for a little while but there there are there are more enhanced mobile versions out there but i for people our age jr i do wonder if we're like soured forever on the mobile platform the way people were soured on video games after the atari commodore and television era it was just shovelware yeah. uh, shovelwares of crap that we just stopped looking you could squeeze an Xbox 360 on an Xbox One game 
PS4 game on our new iPhone very easily. It'd just be shitty to control, but there's a Bluetooth controller. But I don't leave my house that much, so it just doesn't have much of a purpose for me. But yeah, there was usually a game to coincide either promotionally to capitalize on that marketing windfall or that actually integrated with the game itself. I don't know if that's the case with Assassin's Creed Pirates, but is this around the time of uh, Assassin's Creed 4? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then also this week we have SteamWorld Dig out for PC. Um, an enduring Dig game. Dug meets Metroidvania. Pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, pretty cool. And the opposite of pretty cool for me, Gran Turismo 6, a series that has not evolved enough for me to be playable anymore. But if you like car porn, realistic car porn, here you go. Was <laughs> this the last Gran no. Turismo? There's 7 came out a, year, a couple years ago. Okay. It just it moves very slow. Forza comes out like every 11 months. Gran Turismo takes a decade now. Well, I mean, this had a huge, huge cost for a racing game, and that has a limited market. I mean, it does not matter how awesome you make your next racing game. JR ain't never going to buy that sucker. It, it does, JR, but for places like... If you look at how this sells in like Europe and Japan, where cars are not as ubiquitous... They're even more like fantasies that people obsess over, like Peter Dinklage's trains. They always sell more over there than they do over here. There was a, it was technically half of Gran Turismo's life did it sell well in the U.S. It's it's kind of mm. not done that in the the, pre, the past fifteen years. But I got I got friends who like you know adjacent friends. It's all they play. They love Gran Turismo. Car people though, we're not car mm. people. We want to. I want to do things in a car. I can't do with the one I'm forced to pay for and drag behind me, holding its two tons of metal and <laughs> gallons of gasoline because we did not devise a good enough transportation system. That's for another podcast. Uh, plugs. Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. Give us some money. It's Christmas after all. <laughs> Don't we deserve a present? I've been in your life longer than maybe some of your relatives over the last year. Seriously, is your grandma spent three hours with you a week, every week, 50 times? I don't think so. What about me? What about me? I have to live, people. Um, so <laughs> patreon.com slash laser I know, I didn't want to bring it too dark. Uh, but patreon.com slash laser time. Five bucks, bonus shows, more bonus shows coming. Uh, thank you guys so much for your support. Die. Yeah. What are you plugging? Uh, let's see. You can see me online, uh, Blue Sky at Listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. And like I said, this week was kind of a bye week where it's like, hey, you got some stuff. I mean, some of them are recommended. Next week, it's seriously fucking December. It's back on. Next week, we are back in the habit. Oh. We are putting on Wainstock. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy sequel. Diane Keaton is deciding... Who's more fuckable? Oh, God. Jack Nicholson or Keanu Reeves? I think I... I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I am know. not sure. I mean, I feel Keanu would treat me right, but... Yeah. No, Jack... He's Jack, Jack for a I reason. Are, yeah. And we have the first of two Tolkien weeks. <laughs> this is the less fun one. Do but it's yeah. still a big Tolkien week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if that wasn't enough, we'll talk about the only episode of Coach 
that I can vividly remember. Dude. Like, no joke. I, think I know, what you're I know about. it beat for beat. Did you see it in school? Is that is that the key here? No. Okay. Okay. No, it's a it's a huh. Christmas episode. Okay. Meanwhile, PC gaming meets its doom. What? Tis the fifteenth season of The Simpsons. And South Park goes to Raisins. <laughs> oh no! How are they not in jail? That's, that's <laughs> such a terrible joke. I love yeah. it so much. Oh, oh, oh dear. Okay, okay. Well, with that out of the way, Diana, who died during this period of thirty twenty ten? Uh, well, as I already mentioned, in 1993, Pablo Escobar was only 44. I just, my drug empire is only half his size, and I'm older than him now. I have my <laughs> goals. Oh, Got to work on my goals. Need them hippos. Um, we also lost, this one hurts, Frank Zappo is only 52. Right. Fuck you, prostate cancer. Guys, go get checked. Once he hit, like, 45, I think, go get checked. I've been go checked. They've got some uh, non-invasive tests that you can do every year. Ooh. There you go. Yeah. Have I have I yeah. been doing them the whole time and just not with the right equipment? It's possible. <laughs> I don't want to touch that. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, uh, yeah, Frank Zappa is such a fascinating person. It's it's like it is music for math nerds, kind of. It is very musically complicated, but sometimes just so fucking good and so goddamn I, funny. I uh, I didn't know who he was when he died but i think mm-hmm. i was alerted to like because he had a memoriam i could be wrong on this mm-hmm. on both mystery science theater and ren and stimpy because he was a voice I, on ren and stimpy i definitely remember the one on mystery science theater okay so yeah they're think, singing let me be frank about frank yes. at the same time yeah. He, he uh but he was a was he the voice of the pope on ren i think all he said is <laughs> i'm saved uh, <laughs> And I, I was like, Frank, and, and all the people I liked comedically liked Frank Zappa, and then I finally listened to it. Like, it is kind of comedy, first and foremost. They're accomplished musicians, yes. but they really like being amusing. Yeah. it's It can be tough because it can yeah. be very esoteric, and there'll be, like, things that are actually pastiches that you don't appreciate how, like, musically impressive they are, but it's just fun, so that's okay. But... Uh, yeah, and then there's some songs that are just just fucking fun. Yeah, so. D- don't eat the yellow snow. The album Chic Your Booty. Um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Valley Girl. Obviously, we're only in it for the money. That's my favorite album of theirs. <laughs> but um, yeah, Weasels Rip My Flesh. Riz. That's also an amazing one. Anyway, um, we'll talk about Frank Zappa some more in a minute. But also in 1993 is when we lost Donna Michi, who was Donna 85. Michi. Film debut in 1935. Whew. You remember him as the old dude in Trading Places in Cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's how fucking long he had been around. Yeah, I thought, didn't we have a movie we talked to? It was his last performance? I think uh, The Homeward Bound was his last performance. Okay, yeah. He was he yeah. was the voice of the dog. Yeah. Yeah, Chance. Not Chance. The other one. The older what? dog. Don Amici. Hell yeah. Yep. But so, cool possibly guy. more then, important. Finally, now the the one that definitely grabs everyone's attention. Twenty thirteen is when we lost first president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, who is ninety five. The effect has finally struck. <laughs> He's actually dead. He did not die in prison. You bastards. I mean, the whole point was that he went on to lead his country 
very amazingly, if you compare it to Zimbabwe, I mean, that's an incredible achievement. South Africa could have gone very bad. Just, again, look at its neighbor to the north, Zimbabwe, who had a similar thing happen uh, about 13 years before uh, the liberation of South Africa. And Zimbabwe went into kleptocracy, starvation, famine. South Africa's got its problems, but it's doing so, so much better. And oh so much God. of that can be laying on Nelson Mandela's uh, policies. Mm. Yeah. And keeping the country from going into a civil war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Generally, good. That's a good thing. Truth and Reconciliation Commissions, good things. Mm -hmm. We need a couple of them in here in the States, honestly. But now that we've done with the deaths. It's time for, for the, the mm -hmm. birthday quiz. My birthday. Born in Inglewood, California, December 4th, 1973. Okay. Her, her mother was a medical photographer while her father is a computer consultant. This is the first time I'm aware medical photographer is a job, but it makes sense. Someone's got to yeah. do that. Uh, Walt, so turning 40. Walt no, growing turning up. 70, 73, she's turning 50. 50. I cannot do math. Yeah. Turning 50. 50. Inglewood, uh, see, I'm in denial no because I was born in the 70s. So that means that I'm going to be turning 50. And that, that the math can't work Try out. Try not to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So while growing up, she was teased for her appearance and considered an ugly duckling uh, until she turned 11 when she grew three inches and lost 30 pounds in three months. Whoa. Whoa. Jeez. Yeah. Whoa. That's a glow. Uh, she took a DNA test result on uh, Ancestry.com, which gave her 79% African, 14% British, and 6% Native American. Well, she was born in America? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Although not primarily known as an actress, she made her debut on the sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in uh, 1993. Is it Queen Latifah? It is not. Oh, damn. I got a second guess, but all right. No, she's she made there. her film debut in 1995 in Higher Learning. Janet Jackson. No. In 2000, she had her first major role where she was Eve in Disney Channel's Life Size and Zoe in the box office hit Coyote Ugly. She also had a small role in Halloween Resurrection and the television show Gossip Girl and Glee. Holy shit. She was a Victoria's oh, Secrets fuck. model from 1997 to 2005. Ira oh. Banks? It is Tyra Banks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In 2003, uh. and this was my next one, which I'm sure you would have gotten, she created the long-running American reality TV show America's Next Top Model, which she executive produced and presented for the first 22 seasons. Yeah. Uh, and we were rooting for her. We were all rooting for her. So that, that's my favorite quote of all time in that show. And I've watched <laughs> it a couple of times. I actually kind of enjoy America's Next Top Model. Oh, dang. I I was going through the cast of Higher Learning, and there are so many people. Yeah. Michael Rappaport <laughs> is a Nazi. 
Like, um, wait, 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 wait. It's like, okay, I, there's a lot of black women in this. Uh, it's not Regina King. Is that Regina King? Or, uh, Regina King. Yep. <laughs> I said Janet Jackson, which is just totally off. Yeah. Yeah. Not even a little. Not even a little. Yeah. I failed that one. I failed that one. I Sorry. But Queen Latifah's acting debut was on French Prince of Bel-Air. So Whoa. I thought I, I thought I had a pretty, pretty fair stab at that. Anyway. Yay. Happy birthday, Tyra Banks. Happy birthday, Tyra Banks. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I feel like I don't shouldn't have to point it out, but I will. The 90s, there were not a lot of black models. And before mm-hmm. that, there were like none. There was like one. Yeah. And, it was and like then there thir- was her and Naomi Campbell. And then there were more. And that is good. Indeed. Anyway, um, so I definitely wanted to go out with some Frank Zappa, but his stuff can be difficult, especially to just grab 20 seconds of fun stuff. So does anyone have a favorite Frank Zappa song or I'm I'm going to go with with my choice? I'm going with you on this. Yeah, go with your choice. I I think even though it's not a song, it is an instrumental. Peaches and Regalia is one of the finest compositions ever made. I listened to a, a symphonic version of it this afternoon. And uh, now I want to hear like every orchestra play it. Well, hell yeah. So let's go. With Good that. enough for me. All right, people. Thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time. Take us out, Frank Zappa, and we will see you next week.